the Lux Radio Theater, starring Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. I trust you've all had a perfect Christmas. Wonderful presents, uh, too much dinner, and lots of merry company. Christmas really belongs to the children. And so, before they have to leave their toys and cowboy suits, we want to tell them a story. And you'll want to listen, too, because it's The Wizard of Oz. One of those wonderful Oz books that we've all loved since they were written by L. Frank Baum 50 years ago. Metro-Golden-Mare turned The Wizard of Oz into a screen classic and a lovely little singer into a star. One of the most talented stars of Hollywood, Judy Garland. Audiences have asked her to be brought back again and again to be entranced by Judy's performance and those fascinating Oz characters. The Scarecrow, the Tin Woodsman, the Cowardly Lion, and the delightful little people, the Munchkins. Now it's off to The Wizard of Oz, starring Judy Garland as Dorothy. Then what happened? Well, then, uh, you know what? I don't want to spoil it for you. But you got to tell me the end. <laughs> Confound it. <sighs> what all, a what a cliffhanger. It's all very exciting. Who knew? I mean, is he going to get back home to meet his mom or? <laughs> Just going to have to wait and find out the uh, end. Tune in next. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> well, welcome to a, uh, another exciting episode of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Starring. Starring. <laughs> Jay Blake. And Dion Maya. As on, Jay Blake and Dion Maya. On tonight's episode. Do, 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 the love boat. We should have us turn around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just did it. Blake just did it to me where you, the old smile, you walk in and you're like, hey, the Isaac, out of sight. You know, it, it's funny, at, late at night when I watched um, TV on a Saturday night, on MeTV, they always pr- promo at the same time every Saturday night what's going to be on Sunday because they play Love Boat on Sunday yeah. and it's always like Tom Hanks I was like, Tom Hanks is in the Love Boat like it's always like some weird like yeah. someone you never think of it's like you know and Charlie Manson it's like well I thought he was in prison <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Manson and David Berkowitz guest star on this episode <laughs> I always love that Predator ends with the credits of them like oh, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> looking up at the <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> smiling you don't get that anymore. You know, it's like the old days, you know, when, um, you know, like in the 30s and such, when you'd have the movie start, they'd do that at the beginning, you know, starring Peter Lorre, and you'd see like him, an action hello. shot from the movie. <laughs> yeah, hello. <laughs> How are you today? Happy to be here. Yes. What do you want me to smile or what do I do here? Do I, do I blow this thing? You tell me what you fucking do, do. 
But anyway, we're a little hyper right now because, um, you we've know. We've been up all night. We've been up all night. We've a, a lot of shit we've been fucking doing for this episode. <laughs> It's hot. First of all, we've been chugging the yeah. We've been chugging. <laughs> we've been chugging the mega joke cola. Mega joke colas. IV. IV and that <laughs> main line in it. You know, um, it's it's hot as hell. It's hotter than a Wolfman's Nards uh, in New York much, City. Much too hot. When we're when we're been, hotter than a Wolfman's Nards. Yeah, and uh, so we're in we're in the midst of the summer heat. This this might be the like the pinnacle of the summer heat season. Uh, it was, it's been hot, but this has been really, really hot. So we had to deal with all that. And when we got here, we had to shower and change and we didn't bring clothes. So now we're, our parents like really outstretched clothes that don't fit. I'm trying to conserve on water. So our yeah. parents just do it together, yeah. which was awkward. <laughs> it was really awkward. Like, it's like, dad, we're 40. <laughs> Your dad just hosing us off in the backyard. <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> You ain't coming in just like that. <laughs> Take your shoes off. <laughs> it, was, it was cold water too, so <laughs> we got. And then he, you know, it's like that he ho- holds the hose. <laughs> he makes a knot to stop the the spray, and then you yeah. like you think he's done, and he opens it again. Ah, oh, come on! So it's like in First Blood. Oh, when they're holding <laughs> <laughs> David Caruso's hosing them off. Come on, guys, leave him alone. <laughs> I was thinking more like Pulp Fiction when they're in the backyard with the brains, but yeah, it was a little more like uh, we had to strip down to the <laughs> naked from the waist up. <laughs> and so once we got ourselves, um, you know, my dad gave us some clothes, and I'm wearing like the uh, 1986 Wrecking Crew New, New New York Giants, like you know, win the Super Bowl. And Blake's got a Lawrence Taylor shirt on, <laughs> so LT. we're LT. So we're, we're rocking it all. Some some antiquated older stuff. So it's been sitting in the, sh- the drawer so long, it's folded. It's just like the shape of the shirt because <laughs> no one's worn it for, for 25 years. So, and we got some really, really red shorts on. And we're wearing these tall socks with the stripes. I feel like there has been times where I've <laughs> been to your parents' house and like had to wear pats. Like stuff. sweat clothes for some reason. Oh, maybe my mom's doing laundry. Remember maybe. those times we come Strip. up and then, yeah, then I'm, doing a, I'm doing a load of laundry. Strip. <laughs> okay, Claire. <laughs> Even though, <laughs> okay, Claire. <laughs> hey, my mom used to do uh, a lot of laundry, so she she'd always feel bad. So she'd always do our laundry. I feel like you, you bring you bring your laundry. No, right. I'll, I'll wash what you got on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need to wash something of yours. I need to feel <laughs> um, bothered. So yeah, so we're here tonight. Uh, what else is going on? We have some stuff coming up that we need to let the the, the listeners know. Yes, just right around the corner. Hot off the presses. Presses. You know, if you don't <laughs> listen to this episode right away, you're gonna miss it. Yeah, baby. But uh, we were, we usually tease it and wait to the end. But you know what? We're going to do it now. It's so important. Uh, we're kind of in the running. We're not sure exactly how it works. We think we're in the running to then be nominated for a podcast award. They're not making it hard enough for us. And so uh, we got in kind of late. You know, we got into the list a little late. We had, in, unfortunately, didn't get time to promote it too much till now so if anybody out there who's listening to the show wants to support us just a little bit <laughs> a little support us a little bit this this is dropping on a friday and literally the nomination process closes within less than a week it, it closes the following wednesday so if you if you download this over the weekend or before you know the end of july of 2019 we are looking to see if um we're up for 
the running to be nominated, we think, for an Adam Curry People's Choice Award category and for the TV and film category at the Podcast Awards, which is at podcastawards.com. That's podcastawards.com. And you got to go and you got to make yourself a profile, which yeah. just means you get put a username in, you make a password, and then you can go vote for whatever you want, but there's we're a, in the there's categories. There's a bunch of categories. Hundreds of podcasts. Well, I don't know if it's hundreds, but lots of podcasts. Everybody's nowadays. got a podcast nowadays. And uh, unfortunately, I think the TV movie podcast, which is our our category, is the longest. Yeah. Of uh, it's a phone book nominations, but uh, if you could, if you have a few minutes and you have access to the internet, <laughs> we'd appreciate if you go to podcastawards.com, sign up, uh, go to the categories. TV and film and the, the Adam Curry People's Choice Award. Uh, select us. You know, if you want to vote for other categories, go for it. And then you go down and I think you hit save nominations. Yeah, and that'll save it for if you ever come back in, you can um, pick more stuff or you can just leave it like that. But I think that's how you enter your 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 your, your choices. And then you can come back to other categories that you haven't voted for and, and continue voting. And... Um, you know, we're just trying to get on the map, show people that we're bona fide, that we have a lot of listeners, because sometimes we feel like we have a strong uh, listenership community of people who love the show and tell us. And But, like, you look at some of these other people online who have, I guess, a better, more proficient social media presence, and they, they kick our butts, and we're like, well, we think we have a lot of listeners. And so... Maybe this could be a way of showing all the uh, showing the man. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it to the man. Stick it to the man and show them that we do have a bunch of listeners and that you know we're, we could be in the running. And it, it, we know it's very confusing. We only learned this Saturday night that this may be only the first f- way of getting in, just to be entering to be thought to be nominated. Yeah, this is like the listeners' choice section of the of the contest. I think so. I think after. You guys choose. I think it's then they pick uh, like the five most. I don't know how it works. I'm yeah. not even going to pretend like I know. <laughs> yeah, we don't even, you know. Anyway, so please do that if you have the time. That would be much appreciated. Podcastawards.com. Podcastawards.com. And uh, we're going to also be. Uh, on a separate note from that. In, at the end of September, I want to say the 27th. Uh, yeah, we're thinking this is going to be a New York City event that Blake and I are doing. We found, we think that, that it fits us to the 29th. It's Sunday, September 29th. We are going to be, uh, doing something really fun and zany. Um, we're going to be at the Comic Book Nostalgia Con in New York City, which is going to be at the Watson Hotel in New York, New York City. Which is on 57th Street. Used to be the Holiday Inn. Yeah, it's 4 Forty West Fifty Seventh Street, New York City, the Watson Hotel, and in one of their ballrooms, we're g- it's going to be the Comic Book Nostalgia Con, two thousand nineteen, baby, and <laughs> and they could use. I feel like they should. They could use a little young blood in there. Yeah, it's it's an older crowd. Let's put it that way. I've been to conventions there. There's a. There's a monthly record show that I used to go to yeah. regularly. And you there. used to tell me for years to go to this place, right? Was this the yeah. same one? Yeah, and then there's, re- there's Vintage Mania, which is also there, which is uh, similar to what we're going to be, a, a, I don't know, appearing, but we're going to have a table there. We're going to be signing our books. Our books are going to be available and uh, maybe a few other things. Um, so that's going to be in New York. It's just that Sunday the 29th. Yeah, we're going to be doing uh, that. we got plenty of time. 
And we will definitely be posting it on social media, all the information. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's an older crowd. I mean, we could be sitting next to, like, Larry Storch, like, you know, Larry signing Storch away. Larry Storch is supposed to be you there. Know, and some other, I and mean, there's, there's other people that are supposed to be there from, you know, I think the golden age. There's people there that honestly, and I'm not even joking, and this is going to sound sad, and I'm, it's going to sound like I'm being jerk, but there are people there that I genuinely thought had passed away already. Yeah, and it's awesome. You're like, you're still alive, sign <laughs> this for me. Like, I could have sworn Robert Vaughn was <laughs> passed Rob, away. Robert Vaughn is dead. He's on the list, well, so that, I know. he's going to be <laughs> I, I've met Robert Vaughn, and yeah, he he died about a year and a half he ago. Was I saw w- that, and I was like, he, they <laughs> he was that one of the ones that the I grave. was there. Yeah, uh, I, I met Robert Vaughn. Geez, I guess ten over ten years ago now. But yeah, he passed away, which is so the, the, the spirit <laughs> of Robert Vaughn is going to be. We're going to try that. I'm saying. <laughs> In the ballroom at midnight, of all people, try to contact Robert Vaughn and ask him about his role in Pootie Tang. Um, that's another great. That's a funny joke. If we do our own pod, we do our own convention, and we just name Orson Welles is going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> all these people, like you know, I thought uh, Jim Henson's dead. No, he's not. He's coming to our. Uh, he's going to be there. He's going to be there. He's at a table. It's only five dollars to get in. So if you, if you're in the New York City area, uh, into September 29th, it's a Sunday. Uh, I think it's like really early, maybe like nine to nine or ten to you know whatever it is. It's bank hours, holiday hours. Yeah. Uh, come check us out. We'll have a table there. We'll be signing our book. Blake will be signing "Score to Death." Uh, Dion yeah. will be signing "Blood in the Streets." And uh, and then you can you know. I actually, I'm I'm glad we're going. Uh, I don't know how. Yeah, I'm not sure it's our audience. Blake's gonna be re- bringing records to sell as well, so it's not a complete bust. But uh, that that hotel is genuinely a place that I, I I hang out a lot at because I go to a I've been to a mineral show. There. A mineral show, <laughs> you get to look at rocks instead and gems. Sure, I mean like um, are there a lot of jewelers and stuff, or not even that. It's just more like yeah, rare. people selling jewelry and people. I've been to all kinds of. I've been all kind, all kinds of shows. That's where you I, you. I used to live like right around the corner yeah. from it, and that's why I used to go there all the time. Uh, that's where you got your uh, your jewelers <laughs> magnifying glass you wear around your. Uh, yeah. So I've been to many events there, uh, and it's just it's very, it's old school. Yeah, and that's why I like it. Everything there is kind of old school. Um, not specifically the hotel, but the events they have there. It feels like the kinds of conventions that. Deanna and I used to go to when we were little. Our, yeah. Our dad would take us to our dad. Our, our dad would take us to. <laughs> our mutual father would take us to. <laughs> and, you know, we we miss those kind of shows because now all these Comic-Cons and all this blaze and zone out and crazy stuff, it's like it's nice to step back and go to like a, a nice a Columbus Hall or, a, yeah. you know, I mean, to go and find like a card table with some comic books on. It's like the, it reminds you of an old tag or boot sale, you know. So that's the last one I went to there that was like the one we're going to. Yeah. I've been to other things since then. Was Dean Martin Fest. <laughs> was a, or Dean Martin Con. And there was a whole room dedicated Who to somebody's knew? private collection of Dean Martin. Uh, his daughter. Yeah. I don't want to say Dina yeah. Martin was there signing a book. And then there was another room, which I, I assume is going to be the room that Dion and I are in. That was... Uh, you know, that's where Robert Vaughn was. That's the one I saw Robert Vaughn. <laughs> and I got the guy, Carol Spiney, Spinney? Carol, oh, for um, this Big Bird and yeah, also got, Oscar the Grouse. I got, I got uh, you a did. Big Bird signature from Dion. From, it was from really nice. Convention. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I think he just um, retired recently, but he used to do, he was Big Bird, the voice, and he's also Oscar. A lot of people don't know that that's the same person, Carol Spiney. The I more you know. Dun, dun. And we were just talking about Dean Martin on the, uh, what, what do we do, the remake, Assault on Precinct 13 cast. 
because he was in he's in um real bravo real bravo we were talking about the we didn't bring up the sons of katie elder but a lot of other movies he was in at the time so dean who knew that they had a dean martin we should find <laughs> that's what we should start doing like a peter laurie com like you know convention and i guess it's also like i'm sure we could get gilbert Gottfried to appear at it no, if we do a Rondo Hatton, like you gotta, I guess you gotta realize first you gotta do a deep survey and realize where your market is, because maybe Peter Lorre is huge in like Tampa, <laughs> you know, or or like you know Tampa loves Peter Lorre, yeah, or like Kalamazoo or you know Sheboygan, you know Susquehanna. Well, anyway, anyway, we got a big show today. Yeah, so, so check we those get out to it. Yeah, well, we're doing a kind of a double feature here, but it's not a double feature. We did once we did a double feature. We did the Ninja Turtles. And it went off the rails. It real was crazy. Quick. It was real crazy. <laughs> and we did both back to front. And we uh, remember we <laughs> we did like two thirds two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, one third Secret of the Ooze. Yeah. So we're gonna try to go all over the place today. Maybe not do a traditional, but I guess it's just the topic because we got a lot going on here. We're doing Wizard of Oz slash Land of Oz, Return to Oz. Excuse me. And that's for our summer of sequels. This is how it's tying in. <laughs> 2019 summer sequels. Summer of sequels extravaganza. So we're doing Return to Oz from 1985. And we've always said to ourselves, we, you know, that was this is always... Selves. Selves. <laughs> Return to Oz has always been on the list. It's been on our short list to do probably since the show started. Yeah. You know, we're like, you know, that was always like, yo, fucked up movies we can do. Um, you know, Time Bandits. Uh, Return to Oz. Uh, you know, uh, Dreamscape. But Black Hole. This year also happens to be the... It's the 80th anniversary of the 1939 movie of Wizard of Oz, as well as it's the 100th anniversary of the author, uh, Frank Baum, dying. So, there's a lot of kind of correlations. And, you know, you know, it's... In researching it, we find out that they say Wizard of Oz, this might be the only podcast we've done to date that anybody who downloads this has probably seen The Wizard of Oz because it is termed, some people call it the greatest movie of all time, but people say this is the wo- most watched movie of ever. Like the more, the more people in the world have seen Wizard of Oz than any other movie. So we might have a, this might be the only podcast, well, I guess with The Return of Oz, maybe not a lot of people have seen that. <laughs> but the, the first part of it. Yeah. The, you know, The Wizard of Oz. Um, I'd be very curious to see how many people of a younger generation uh, have seen it. W- Return to Oz. Yeah. No. Uh, Wizard of Oz, even. Oh, okay. I think Wizard of Oz is still very prolific in prolific, like, uh, in with these different stuff coming out, and then they do a lot of the... Well, know, I just feel like, you know, when we were little, and starting since the late 50s, like 56... It was a yearly event to have on television. Yeah. Around Christmas time or Thanksgiving, and I was thinking maybe that's the, also the reason why, remember in Christmas Story, when they're waiting in line to meet Santa, when they see the parade, you see the Wizard of Oz and all them come around because they were big in the psyche at the time, you know, when the movie took yeah. place. But I don't know, but that's like that's the reason why you and I watched it a quadrillion times when we were kids. Because it was on every year, yeah, and also like <clears throat> for pe- for kids like I, for, for like me who didn't have cable, you know, on Sunday night or whatever night it was on, that was the only thing on. <laughs> well, I still I feel like it still plays. I don't know. You I know? don't think it plays like it used to, and I think there's way more of a there's way more competition. You know, there's so many other things. Sure, there's a lot of people that don't have even have cable, and all they yeah. have is the streaming services. So I just don't know. I'd be very curious. To s- I'm not saying that 
kids today don't know. Was yeah. <laughs> they, damn it, they I'd should just, know. I'd be very curious that if they do, because there are generations of people that, you know, don't know, like, you know, Bugs Bunny. And, yeah. And shit like that. So, I don't know. Well, they did a, in 2011, they did a Tom and Jerry remake. They, they've done a, with when they reformatted and reintroduced Tom and Jerry, they've done like like uh, uh, did a Willy Wonka one. Yeah, then they did a Sherlock Holmes one, and they did a Wizard of Oz one, which is pretty popular that I've seen a couple times. And I feel you know they did a Muppets Wizard of Oz maybe fifteen years ago, going on now. And of course, there's the Wiz, and then Wicked is huge on Broadway. Oh, I'm sure like you know, people, I'm sure everyone knows what the Wizard of Oz yeah. is. But you think it's and like, there was like the you know there was the Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, which a, um, a few years ago with James Franco. Uh, so I'm, I'm like I'm sure that like the zeitgeist of Wizard of Oz and Oz is out. I just don't. I'm just curious who's how many people I'd say born in the last twenty years have actually seen the original. Not the original Wizard of Oz movie, but the 1939 yeah. Judy Garland. Well, I think you're harder pressed to find anybody who's of that age group who's seen Return to Oz. Yeah. Well, you know, definitely. That's, I mean, that's, I think you're harder pressed that movie, people. <laughs> that's even that people didn't our even age. Perform well. You know, the, um, that, that, that's that. You know, you might you get. I think you're really even dwindling down to when you get to people who are our age who's even seen that, and it's another example of Disney just doing some crazy messed up stuff, trying to you know, just mess up kids kids' <laughs> dream. You know. Yeah. Well, that was Disney's mo. Yeah. It's great though because it's for me as a, as an adult now, you know. But it's all that. I mean, I'd love to get a box set. Disney should release a box set of like <laughs> the fucked up. Years. Yeah, <laughs> Black Hole. You know, Watcher in the Woods. You know, The Devil and Max Devon, or uh, what else that's in there? Maybe Tron. You know, um, oh, certainly Old Yeller. <laughs> you know, what I mean? you know, it's like you know, going all the way through. Maybe Darby O'Gill because the end is really freaky. But like they had, and a, then they, it's just a montage of like all the parents getting killed in all the animated movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bam, and then yeah, you get the bonus feature the is death like death montage. Yeah, Bambi's di- Bambi's mom's death. Uh, you know, Scar- um, Lion King, Mufasa's death. <laughs> the, spoiler, uh, spoiler, everybody dies. So um, yeah, this is one of those movies where they were trying to, and then see doing research for this. I mean, we did a junk a load of we read the novelization and then we went back and I read the original um, story Wonderful World of Oz um, that the Wizard of Oz is based on you didn't read all 14 of the, no, the original Bible no books. well because it was really <laughs> confusing because I knew that there was a whole series trying to figure all that out and um, it's just too much and then after he died it, he was one of these authors where people took up the charge and then subsequently wrote yeah. penned who knows how many more sequels, official, unofficial. I guess they've, like, Ian Fleming's had that with the Bonds, and um, I think Conan Doyle, right? People have wrote Sherlock Holmes stories, post-Sherlock Holmes. Sure. You know, or Solar Ponds, uh, the Sherlock Holmes uh, Nick, pastiche. Uh, Nick Carter? <laughs> the, the guy who did uh, Wrath of Khan. I think he wrote a... Oh, uh, uh, Nick, uh, Pal- uh, Nick uh, yeah. Pelleggi. <laughs> Nick Pelleggi. He wrote Wise Guys Casino, and he wrote a... Uh, Where's the Vaz book? <laughs> no, but he wrote a Sherlock Holmes book. Oh guy. yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I was uh, you know, just just your your favorite authors, Judy Bloom, you know, 
you know. So I read the first one because you know for years I had you know Meyer Myers Nicholas Myers yeah I used to have I would when I used to have money I would go to like uh, I was gonna say Walden Books Walden Books has been dead for twenty years I would go to Barnes and Nobles and they'd have their books that were like their copies because they're public domain for five or ten dollars sure yeah. so I used to stock up on all the classics so. In like 2002 or three, I bought Wizard of Oz with the intention of one day reading it. You know, so I have this shelf of stuff where I, you know, uh, all the classics that I'm trying to get to. And and for years, I'm like, oh, I'll get to Wizard of Oz, the Wonderful World of Oz. And then this was the perfect reason. I was like, now it's the time to read it. But then I didn't realize, like, you know, like you said, there's so many. I was like, oh Jesus, does it? You know, is it going to be convoluted or? Is it only one story, or is it a bunch of stories uh, in this book? And it's the only—it's the first one. But like you said, there's 14 other sequels. I think there's 14. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, there's a stage. There was a stage play. The first in 1910. There was a shitload of movies before The Wizard of Oz. Oh, there's at least a hundred. <laughs> there's at least a hundred movies based on The Wizard of Oz property. Before the 1939 Wizard of Oz, there was a 10-minute silent movie in 1910, and that's the third movie that year that is based on a bomb care uh, vehicle, Oz-ish. And then I think there was another Wizard of Oz in the 20s. There's a long, you know, another maybe a longer version. Yeah. Uh, and then until before we even get to the MGM 1939 movie, so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. But this is a a story where with with bomb. It's really interesting. Uh, this guy who he writes the book and it comes out in 1900 mm -hmm. so he's just getting himself into the 20th century but it's a lot of people call it the first um, American child protagonist for a kid where at the time you had like you know uh, books like Peter Pan you had books like Alice in Wonderland or like Huck Finn or uh, Tom Sawyer but those kind of books are written but the idea has always been like, you know, can a kid of the age that the book is written in about, about can they understand what these, you know, or do you have to be as knowledgeable as the author writing them? Yeah. And people look at Wizard of Oz and the reason why the Wizard of Oz had such popularity is because it's kind of straightforward. I read Wizard of Oz, um, I read Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland like, say, 15 or 16 years ago. Great book, but it is convoluted. Like, there's, it's whack town. You know, he's going to this or that, you know, and it's... It's uh, ironic, the ironies and the self-reflection, all this. So you kind of have to have a, you know, it, that is all lost on a child. So people have always kind of said, like, Dorothy is supposed to be, like, you know, five or six in the original story. And then that's reflected, I think, in the Feruza Balk Return to Oz story. But it's like Wizard of Oz, Wonderful World of Oz is a book that Dorothy could have in her pocket and, you know, and, and read herself. Yeah. So... It also is one of these stories which goes to like you always like talking about the reluctant hero, you know, where it's uh, going back to say Odysseus or all these stories from the old days where it's, you know, she is propelled into this journey to make this thing to, you know, to either discover this power or learn something about herself or get home and all that. And on the way, she f meets this merry man to people. You know, you see that in freaking Hidden Fortress, which translates to Star Wars. Uh, and I also believe believe the, the wonderful world of Oz is certainly a huge... Uh, maybe people more in the fantasy world will know this, but in me doing all this research, I think it you know, owes a lot like Harry Potter and even the Tolkien movies, you know, because you don't really look at it. If you look at the 1939 movie, The Wizard of Oz, 
you know, they kind of downplay the magical and, you know, the fantasy aspects. You know, I mean, you see them on the outset, but you don't really think about them as you look at, like, the Harry Potters and stuff. But, like, this is the first time maybe ever in literature where you have a good witch, you know, that had never been heard before, you know. And that's something that now par and parcels in the Harry Potters or in the Tolkien world, you yeah. know. You had wizards and stuff and sorcerers, and it could be a good wizard like a Merlin or something. But, you know, it's the first time you actually have him taking that idea of the um, the world of magic and not having any kind of demonic or satanic, like you getting your powers for, you know, you're making a deal with the devil or something inherently evil, yeah. you know. Uh, as well as it's putting a, a girl into a story where she's not like a Harry Potter's born into it. And Harry Potter finds out like, you know, uh, you're part of this legacy, you know, and you have to go to the school and you're destined for this word. She's just a regular person who's thrown into this. Yeah. And then she has to like, you know, make do what she has and, you know. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those <clears throat> kind of classic narrative storytelling tropes going on yeah you know like you said there's the there's like like you said the reluctant hero someone that's just thrown into a situation you know we see a lot of that later and that becomes like a very big hitchcock thing sure and then a very, the giallo and then a lot of big uh, very all the giallo movies which are <laughs> kind, of, kind of based you know inspired by the hitchcock kind of template and then, of course, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. <laughs> you know? I'm telling you right now, this is the only podcast you're going to hear. We go from Wizard of Oz to connecting to Giallo movies to Jackie Chan movies. You know, so you have that. Yeah. You also have the uh, kids on an adventure. Sure, which is huge for our childhood. Yeah, when things like Goonies and Explorers and Monster Squad. The kids on an adventure seems to be a little bit of a dying, uh, to at least. To me, maybe it's because I'm an adult and I, I'm not. Well, Stranger mar- Things is tried, I think. Yeah, bring that back. Bring that back. But I feel like that's more of like a like a, a shifty brought, play on brought that. Brought that back for us. It's contrived. Yeah, not yeah, for yeah. kids. Yeah, you know it's to I mean? get money from us to be like, here's everything you've ever liked from your childhood, and we're gonna package it up and give it to you. You know. Um, I mean, the last one I can think of that was genuine four kids was like the spy kids movies. yeah the Rodriguez. But i'm sure there were other ones but sure those are the ones i remember they're not marketed to us so yeah. maybe there are more like honey i shrunk the kids or like there's a whole yeah there's a whole sub-series i guess if you go through but like those. a kid or a kids on an adventure is yeah a, you know big thing for our generation and then you have you know the luke skywalker last starfighter like the kid who is longing for something more yeah and then realizes not in every situation, but then realizes what they had was pretty good. Yeah. You know, the Luke Skywalker s- standing on the on that top of the dune looking at the two suns setting. Yeah. <laughs> or the uh, Alex from <laughs> Last Starfighter sitting in his trailer, uh, the, the trailer. The trailer and, park, And yeah. wanting to go to college in Europe and then ended up embarking on this huge uh, adventure. Uh, you know, we have... You know, that opens with Dorothy and black and white, dirty old Dust Bowl, Kansas. And this is another great movie for us, the 39 movie to talk about. We've gone back farther. We did uh, Peter Lorre's um, uh, uh, Mad Love. Mad Love from, I think it was 34, maybe? 33 or 34. You know, and, you know, I don't know if we'll go back and get to doing like a talkie, but this is huge where it is the the movie going, the idea of going from black and white to color 
literally in in the movie is a huge stepping stone into like a monument of achievement at the time and like almost like the handing a baton off to into the color movies and eventually the black and whites were dying say 20 25 years of that era so you know we always talk about uh, special effects and stuff like that and this is also a great milestone with like you're saying that you started off in this this black and white world and in the book it's very flat very gray very you know it's it's uh, you can translate it. I would assume uh, the '39 movie, the Judy Garland. Tr- that's like kind of like the Dust Bowl era, you know, yeah, it's a yeah. depression, that kind of a thing, which wasn't happening, you know, when Baum wrote his. But it's kind of, you know, he was in the, you know, <clears throat> he was a um, son of a wealthy oral man. He married a girl in 1882, and they, and then her, her, her family was a was a mother was a very pioneering feminist, so he was surrounded growing up with a lot of like strong female characters and this is where you see elements getting into uh the wizard of oz of her dorothy and then the witches and all these kind of people and then he his his father ends up and brother end up dying so his family fortune declines and he moves out west to the dakota territories and opens up a like a general store like a haberdashery called bombs bazaar and then he would read to local children and give them candy and, and he would just tell them stories and stuff and he ends up he like rears chickens he writes a, uh, a how-to book on rearing chickens or he writes another book on um uh, uh department store decor like front window decor like how, how to you know um so he has his general store for a couple of years but then their drought happens and that dries up in 1890 and then he becomes a reporter a traveling salesman and then he writes his first book in 1897 he writes mother goose and prose and then in 1899 he writes father goose and father goose his book is it's called and that's that book is the best-selling book of the year and then he in 1900 writes this book and this book is huge it's like sells out um and it's quickly adapted into a stage play so when he starts writing the sequels he writes them kind of with that in mind that these can be you know so this was very big when this because that was the other form of entertainment at the time this is before radio uh you know this is i guess the infancy of vaudeville and that kind of a thing so if you wanted if you're not reading something in your hand you'd go see the exposition in a cabaret hall or choral hall you know so uh, when this was came out, this is the 20th century. Like you know, electricity electricity was just being introduced. All these it's right in the middle of the industrial revolution. You got like H. G. Wells and Jules Verne's writing these kind of stories. So it's it's uh, it's it's fertile territory for this kind of imagination. Well, the world at that point changing <laughs> yeah it's changing but it seems like a magical place well you're taming the wild west too remember didn't, remember that book we had to read for a class where there's an essay i forget the name of it but it's like it's called like the wild west is over or whatever and it's the idea that like you know come 1900 it's like kind of like what wild bunch is about where it's like you know by the time you get the car and the train coming the iron horse coming into the west taming the 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 outback yeah that like you're you're kind of aging out those you know those hermits or you know those frontiersmen because you know well, technology br- yeah you're bringing civilization to places that yeah were completely rural and, yeah. <laughs> and unestablished i mean it's crazy point. to think 
you know, west of the Mason-Dixon line, like a lot of that stuff, like California is less than 100 years old, you know, for the most, a lot of it, like the suburban, yeah, you know. I the mean, amount of development that happened in such a short amount of since time. Since like 1900, it's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's you know, I mean, Alaska, that was still like a, a crazy territory in 1900 where they had the last, the, the Yukon gold rush. And it's like, you look at in a hundred years time, how much we've colonized the United States, to, uh, you know, continentally. It's amazing. Yeah. But it was, you know, that turn of the century, it's just like, I can't even imagine, I mean, I wouldn't want to live at that point because, you know, there's a lot of uh, luxuries that we have yeah. <laughs> that they didn't have, but that to be at that point and seeing, hearing about what's coming. Yeah. And then seeing it. The advancement <clears throat> of technology that's, that's occurring at that point. And then seeing it develop, and then seeing things coming out, and you know that also the eighteen nineties, right around that time, is the is the kind of the invention of motion pictures. Sure, you know, so like for the first time, you could you know you could go to these exposition exhibitions of uh, of motion pic of mo- movies. And picture and, and picture taking is relatively. I get what fifty years old at that time. You it's know, just, it's amazing. I mean, because then you you know you have the Lumiere brothers and then Edison and, but then you know then you have uh, Miliez starting to do, you know, kind of the, the infancy of what is going to become, tel- uh, movie special effects and the beginning of, you know, what will eventually become that kind of fantasy story that is you know very much I'm sure <clears throat> in some ways very inspiring to the authors but also things like the mo- the movie wizard of oz yeah yeah you know, not n- obviously not necessarily the books but what all that stuff is happening at that point and when the book comes out it's like all around it's that feeding time. into that and yeah so it's did seem like a very magical time i'm sure <laughs> i mean you know if you look at the author almost as kind of like the wizard at the time you know the you know, he, the, you find out, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen, you know, the, I'm sure everyone knows the end, but at the end you find out the, the Oz, the wizard's kind of a fraud. But at the same time, he's almost like the quintessential American salesman. Yeah. Where he's able to sell, he's, people are gullible enough, but he's good hearted and he's able to make things work. So. And that's all what, like the Sam Raimi. Yeah. The, boss, the James Franco, one, James Franco. But at the time, kind of like you find out in reading the the wonderful world of Oz is that like when he when he gives up that he's a fraud he's like well he's from Omaha but he used to just be a a guy who at the time you'd get in the balloon and you go up in the air so that people around on the flat land could say oh look there's a carnival somewhere because we could see a freaking hot air balloon in the air so let's walk towards that (laughs) and then below it is that's you know so it's like Blake saying, it's like you think about the advent of the plane, the 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 Henry Ford with the car. Um, the train has already been out, of course, but just so much electricity, and then such something as elementary as going to to the movies to see a moving picture. And the early stuff is just like a train coming into the station, two people kissing, uh, people running, you know, a race, or you know. But it was just so amazing. People would spend all day they paying money. To look at these Nickelodeons or go sit into this, like maybe it's a cool theater. Uh, yeah, it's, you or know, sometimes it was just a tent at a at a fair, at a, at, yeah. at a carnival. <laughs> and you, you know, and then you, it's like a medicine show or something. You'd go and you sit in and you'd see this thing. And and it then finally 
you get to like the great train robbery stuff where people start, oh, you could tell a story that's kind of chronological or there's some of certain ways of telling stuff. And so when you start getting like effects where they, you know, they'll stop the camera and they'll put somebody else in, they'll start it again. It looks like all of a sudden there's this, you know, something appears yeah. that blew people. People thought it was real magic or people are actually going to the moon and the moon is made out of cheese. You know, it's, it's so, it's such a fascinating time with, you know, Jules Verne's predicting what, or, or H.G. Wells what's going to happen in a couple of years or you have uh, what's his face um, the, the Edgar Allan Poe creating the detective and then you have detective you know you have Arthur Conan Doyle writing so there's there's so much and this gets into like what you and I always talk about the pulp years and all that the stuff that of the 20 you know the fodder for people's reading of fantasy and 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 western or science fiction to feed you know their urges of doing something you know relaxing or you know you know aside from these big classics that that are already out there you know well that's the thing is you it's hard to put in perspective that in 1900 when this book was published um the wonderful world of oz that it would resonate, you know, over a hundred years later. There'd yeah. be two schmoes still sitting in a basement. <laughs> hundred and twenty years later. Hundred and twenty years over, later. Over yeah. hundred. You know, I was watching a documentary, not a documentary, but an interview with the composer for the Rocky movies, Bill Conti, and somebody had posed the question of, you know, how do you feel about like the longevity of the Rocky score? And he's like, long. And he's like. In the in the grand scheme of things, it's just, there's it hasn't been longevity yet. I mean, we're t- we're we're still talking about the music written by Beethoven and Mozart. Yeah, like that's longevity. Yeah, <laughs> not 1976. That's a generation or two. Yeah, <laughs> isn't longevity for a piece of music? That's true. But uh, you know, to think of it in, the, in those contexts, I mean, yes, there's literature far dating back much further than the the wonderful world of odds but to have a, a, a basically a children's story yeah capture the imagination in some way whether it's directly or indirectly of every child for the last 119 years it's insane it's because ex- it's accessible to them it's amazing you know whether it's the books whether they read the books as the kid whether they uh Watched television specials, saw the stage show, s- saw a stage show, put on a stage show I, at their own school. When I was in Elva, saw the 1939 movie, whatever it is, uh, eating up, ingesting the the entertainment that was inspired by it, like sure. you said, possibly you know Harry Potter and stuff. This lineage of inspiration that this movie, uh, that the the 1939 movie and everything that came before it uh, back to 1900 with, with the, the original bound book. It's, it's fat. It's amazing yeah. to think of like the, the, every mind that it's touched. I used to think that about um, Disney. Yeah. You know, that every generation <clears throat> post, you know, definitely snow white, but yeah. even before that, that like every kid has been, has been touched not literally, figuratively, <laughs> by this guy, sure. Walt Disney. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating, and to have that be sh- have that record be shattered, yeah, by this guy who had 
you know, let's face it. I mean, he 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 went through so many different careers and everything because he was not successful. Yeah. You know, if you're successful at something, you stick with it. I mean, it t- it took a lot of time, a lot of a lot of trying to find what he was going to be good at before he found it. And then what he did with that talent and that discovery, that self-discovery. I mean, it changed it changed the world. Yeah, he was born in 1856, so if you think about that, he didn't write this until, you know, 1900 it's published. So that's what 54 or 44 years he's there, you know. So it's he did other things in the meantime, like you said, but it's just when you put your, your stake in the ground and you do something as mind-blowing as that, and then uh, it's it's digested so quickly into whatever uh, art form they have out there. So they make, a th- they make very famous running theater productions of it. By the time movies come out, they're making movie productions of it. Um, they then start doing radio versions. There's a great radio version, Lux Radio. I think it's Lux Radio. Do Lux an hour, Radio. Yeah, brought to you by Lux. <laughs> they do a version, an hour version of the 1939, which I have, the Judy Garland. There's a rehearsal, and I think there's they have two versions that survive. But it's just, then we go back to talking about, you know, m- at the time movies and having like radio plays at the same time. But it's just so amazing how many, and to think before the 1939 movie is made, that there's already been like a hundred or you know how many other films or shorts on his work you know that or it's been this is the third or fourth it's like you know ben-hur you know there's so much stuff out there that we don't realize is is a remake of a remake you know that that's already been done that that the eternal question that you always see on film twitter or wherever and it's usually based around the horror movies about like Remakes. What's are your they, favorite remake? Are they, is, what's your favorite? Are they good? Are they bad? And it's like you know, it, the 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 more recent influx of it's like no, pe- they've been remaking things. Yeah, since the minute somebody started. <laughs> House of Wax is a remake. It's like there's so many, um, you know. But it's also you think about it in the context of theater. Yeah, which was All productions and which stuff. is what you know predated cinema. Yeah. Which is, you know what, like, people to this day are, are quote-unquote remaking Hamlet. Yeah. Every year, somebody is doing a production of Hamlet. And nobody's like, well, you know, I really love the original. <laughs> I love the 1734 run that was put on this in This one Chicago. just doesn't live up to it. Yeah. I mean, because that had such vigor and prim. I mean, even, I, you know, you read about... um the the when they were doing Sherlock Holmes for the stage, it it was more. There's a I, I, and his name escapes me. There's a quintessential actor who I think owned Gillette's Castle in Connecticut, but he was known for his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes on the stage. And they might have just discovered in the past five or so years or surviving silent film that he stars in as Sherlock Holmes. But he's the one that gave everybody that idea of Sherlock Holmes wears the hat or, you know, he kind of re- redefined. I yeah. mean, there were, there were original illustrations of what the hook knows or whatever, but I forget what it was, but he gave like he smokes the pipe. And, and it's so it's weird that you think about there's these tropes that are instilled in us or in these silent movies that people saw growing up that they love that have now since well, been destroyed. Or, is yeah, a perfect example. You know, you know, I think of all these movies movies prior to like talkies you know that that have maybe been lost over the because of time or whatever that we don't know but when you were growing up in that era you know it was instilled into you like the um what's his name who wants to be in this movie uh uh bolger 
who plays um, uh, Scarecrow, he only wanted to play Scarecrow because of the gentleman who played him on stage was so famous, his portrayal. And yeah. they even thought about putting the guy who defined him on the stage in the role, but he was too old at the time by the 1939. So it's just so weird how so many things influence each other. Like you're saying the vampires where it's like yeah. that all comes out of the stage and, you know, Bram Stoker's... Well, like, for instance, Nosferatu... The film. The film, the yeah. silent film. Like, that's where the invention of the sunlight yeah. will kill a vampire. It's invented there yeah. in, like, 1929. I don't remember the exact date. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you think of this as, like, you know, going back generations into, like, the Bram Stoker's Dracula. But, like, no, that's not in Bram Stoker's Dracula. No, they had to change it enough because they couldn't get the rights right to, like, to do his, his yeah, version. Yeah, that, you that, know, his book his wife wouldn't at, let him. By that point, was not public domain. Well, it was only, like, I think 20 years old or so, and they've been doing... They but, were but doing all the rights. My point yeah. is that, like, it's funny that we just take things as tradition or, you know, like, that's just the way it is. But, no, like, somebody... It was created, and often it's create. It was created much more recently than you think. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it wasn't this. You know, the old gypsy myths of vampires didn't have anything to do with sunlight. Yeah, you know, um, it's just amazing how influenced we as as people are by. You know, I mean, I, w- I want to say media, but that's kind of obvious. But just entertainment yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and like how whatever form yeah how how far it goes back or how not so far it goes back um it's, it's only I mean, th- th- what we're talking about here it's only 100 years or so i mean this is i mean you think about relatively how new you know sound recording is or film i mean this is i i always think of that that you and i tried to have careers in this business where 100 years ago well, maybe a hundred, but a little more than that. You couldn't, there wasn't a career to be had because it's brand new. It's a like computer, you know, it's like 60 years ago or maybe six. <laughs> boy, <laughs> you get me though. But like, you know, that wasn't, it's not around as like being, you know, something like a carpenter or something like being like a, like, like a, like a good old vocational job, you know, where it's like these, you know, people have been painting pictures since kind of the beginning of time, but that's certainly a little more well-established, but then, you know, or that's my, you know, or singing, Uh, You know, the music and that kind of a thing. But to get in the field of, you know, recording or, you know, filming or or taking pictures, you know, it's so you you wonder. It's like, I guess, with computers, like what's it going to be in another hundred years? I mean, I find it wonderful, but also fascinating that. I mean, now Harry Potter is not current, not recent in terms of the books were not, you know, books have been around a while, but. To think that even by then, that a book could capture the imagination of kids and sure. such a huge phenomenon. Yeah. And get kids to read. Yeah. <laughs> like, know. that's what I mean. It's th- that a book could still do that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And I, I feel like it, it is like uh, Baum's book where it's, I, 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 for full disclosure, I've never read any of the Harry Potter books, but I, I've been heard that the first book is kind of easy to read. And then as they get old, they get yeah. harder because it's... It's my understanding that like it's written for the age group that they are in the book. Yeah. So each one gets a little more sophisticated so that as a reader, you could grow up with Harry, you know, reading the books. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that was certainly really big at the time with, with why it was so accessible, his book, 
because it w- it was written for kids to be able to understand. You could take this and you could read this to your children before they go to bed, or you know, uh, a five or six year old can understand what's going on in it. There's not like these double entendre. Well, there are double entendres in it, but it's not like adult irony or this internalized struggle or mockery. You know, where you know the the Lewis Carroll stuff is very sophisticated, and what's actually going on is that it's all in her head. She goes down this rabbit hole, or even. Peter Pan with, you know, you look at the contemporaries, you know, to Dorothy, you have like Wendy from Peter Pan or you have uh, Alice from 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 Alice in Wonderland. But those are very sophisticated, like we're saying, where this isn't. So even Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer is a bit of sophistication. And, you know, uh, there's a reflection of what's going on in society and stuff. So that all, I think, gets completely lost to children. Sure. You know, until you hit maybe a level of puberty or adolescence. But, you know, just the simple things, these go back kind of to, like, the uh, Anderson, the the Brothers Grimm stories. The, the, the Grimm's fairy tales came out in 1826. So they're still relatively new, the fairy tales. But those are also very dark. And, you know, uh, people get comeuppance and this and that. Or there's, they're telling these moral stories for kids to learn this or that like these these lessons these these life lessons where you know like we said this is the first time you ever have like a like a good witch and it's not have anything to do with Santa it's it's kind of like it establishes what you could see in 80 years what the force becomes the force has nothing to do with demons or doubt it could be used dark you know but you know when i'm here thinking of like obi-wan or the jedis i don't think that like they sold their soul to the devil or you know that kind of thing so you know with having this good witch aspect is kind of something relatively new to people especially back then when religion is still a very very big thing yeah you know uh you're not a sorcerer or you're not like a like a you know um, a sorceress (laughs) you know so it's it's amazing what he's able to establish and then how quickly there's an appetite for it, I think, in the in the in the popular all over the world, and it sells out, and it makes him write a sequel. He writes the sequel like a year or two later with a stage idea in mind, and Dorothy's not in the sequel. It's just about it's a, it's a boy, yeah, and it's about the scarecrow ruling as king and like the other guys, and then she comes back in the third one, and then in the fourth one, and then I don't know after that, you but know, a lot of the stuff that is in the subsequent tellings of the bound books like return uh to oz the movie the movie that we're gonna get to at some point today <laughs> yeah <laughs> in the six hour edition of, of saturday movies numerous, are to from that even though dorothy isn't in that book like jack Pumpkinhead and stuff i think i believe like those characters a lot of that stuff is from that second book. Yeah, the um, the marvelous world of Oz, is it called? The I think second one. Yeah, I think so. the 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 third and the fourth books establish us TikTok, um, establish us um, a whole bunch of the characters that are there. Um, what's her face? The 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 Moby character, the girl uh, who replaces the heads. Mm-hmm. She's she's got a different name in the um, in the. Uh, the original story. Her name is like Doc Languir, Princess Languir, and she just changes heads because of van- vanity. But you get Belinda because in the third book, Dorothy comes back and Dorothy's taking a uh, a voyage, a sea voyage to Australia, and she's swept overboard. And then while she's swept overboard, she's almost drowns, but she jumps onto a chicken coop. And then when she wakes up, she's with Belinda, and now Belinda can talk. 
and then she, that's how we get the whole chicken coop aspect and chick belinda replaces toto yeah. and then you get tiktok in there you get like i said uh, uh ozma ozma yeah ozma's in another, there yeah that's is that the third book that's the th- yeah the third and the fourth books uh but what i didn't understand if you want to talk about the return to oz for a minute is i think a lot of people didn't understand is that you know i had no frame of reference past the first wizard of oz movie yeah so a lot of people didn't know or realize when return to oz came out how faithful they were not only to the to the uh, original story but even like when the original books came out they were illustrated by this guy named ww denzow and denzow's illustrations are very iconic and they did they went to a great deal of trouble to uh make the stuff in return to oz look like the illustrations so that's why you know tin man looks so different or scarecrow looks so different even toto is not the same kind of a dog he's more like the dog from the original stories and we brought up last week um when we did temple of doom that when they went to go do temple of doom they wanted to get the same production designer norman reynolds who had done raiders of the lost ark but he was busy because he was doing return to oz at the time and you know i would say this would be a lot of uh thanks to or praise to him of how close to the original stuff um he was able to get you know uh, going back to the marvelous land of oz which is the 1904 book the third book and then the ozma of oz which is the 1907 book and that also has the gnome king in it too and it's all very kind of true where it's um you know you have tiktok you have pumpkin hat jack pumpkin head uh, and the Gnome King is is in trying to take over the world, enchanting these objects, hiding people in the enchanted objects, and all that. So, um, you know, I didn't know any of that. I told you prior to this that <clears throat> growing up, there was a 1980 Thanksgiving special, a cartoon movie called I think it's uh, maybe called like the Dorothy in the Land of Oz, yeah, or something the, like that, or the Thanksgiving. There was the, I think one edition had the Thanksgiving special name into it, and then they cut the Thanksgiving Day aspects out to just have it be kind of um, evergreen. Um, and it's it came out a cartoon came out in 1980, and it's got Sid Caesar in it, and it's also got uh, Frank Nelson, yes, who we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Um, and I had seen that prior to the. Return to Oz coming out in 1985, and it has in that all that it has TikTok, it has Jack the Pumpkinhead, it has I think somebody else in it too, uh, and it's a half hour story, and it's about like you know it takes place right after the Wizard of Oz movie, and and then it's got that the the magic powder of life in it too because yeah. a pumpkin comes up which scared the shit out of me like a, <laughs> she has a pumpkin pie and the pie comes to life and they're carrying the pie around that talks now or and then like, why, are th- why are you carrying me around on a pie yeah it's it's very freaky <laughs> to me it's just it goes into all this you know we can get into that later but even like they have a blimp that looks like a turkey and they turn that and that becomes a, a or not a blimp but it's a balloon that becomes a real turkey in it so and then there's an evil wizard they gotta try to fight at the end of it and it's only like 23 minutes wraps up very quickly and then she's home but it was a thanksgiving special so i'd seen that and then when this movie came out uh return to oz in 1985 i thought it was a based off of that i was like mm-hmm. oh i know these characters already so like yeah, yeah. i guess if kids had seen that special which i think was pretty widely seen but you know these are things that just fall no one's ever you know it, it comes makes a, a ripple okay. but then in five years no one's ever going to see it again, <laughs> you know yeah so i feel I, like I, that hurt the ret- return to oz you know that that people it's it's people looked at it as being so dark 
compared yeah. to the, to the well, 1939 the movie. Is, it was, especially calling it the Return to Oz, people thought it was a, like a, a, direct, direct a direct sequel to the 1939 MGM film. And I'll be honest with you, I thought I was a little gypped too because, you know, when you only see like cameos of the wiz- of the, the, the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Lion and the Lion, the Scarecrow's got a little bit part in it, but the other ones are basically cameos. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Those are my fucking peeps. Those are my, that's, that's my story. But before we get to that, yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about the The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Well, it's got some crazy, I mean, it's it is I guess groundbreaking in in this this way where they in the past twenty years they've remastered this son of a gun so they've been able to restore Eight times. yeah they rem- <laughs> I mean we, every time they're done with the remaster like on they that Monday let's start the next let's start one. it again so the thing comes out on a Friday by Monday they're starting a new remaster <laughs> but they they only I guess recently have they remastered it and put out the beginning the black and white. They they purposely made it. They they applied a sepia tone to it to make it look even more depressing and dour than regular black and white would look of the day. Yeah, you know. So that has never really been present in subsequent releases because you couldn't really convey that on a black and white TV or by that time in the eighties color. No one's thinking of that. So it's funny to see this thing as it we say was originally intended to be seen back when you saw it or ha- as it would look the colors and all that kind of a thing so that when it comes up and you're in Kansas and you're in uh, you know you know it it not only looks black and white but it's gray depressing it has this bland sepia tone onto it until she walks through and then you're suddenly into 1939 technicolor three strip technicolor yeah. you know um i mean it's a it's a beautiful and genius use of the art form oh yeah to, to tell a story. Well, it's it's it literally is the the gate or the door to that next era of color films, and and not only is it the year that you start seeing color movies, but actually in the movie you have the actual transition. You have a physical transition from, and I can't think of. I mean, I'm sure there's people, you know, there's like that movie um, Pleasantville where they use it as a gimmick. Yeah. But I can't ever. I don't. You know, or you have like you know maybe a color or cartoon cartoons but i can't think of another movie i can't imagine going to this going to see this movie not having seen it before oh jesus and going to a movie theater and seeing it because that moment is in any story yeah of these types of stories is magic yeah i mean i remember when you and i went to california and we went to we were at like a uh, an art exhibition of Disney art. Yeah. Disney fine art. Um, and there was a painting of, like an oil painting of Alice, like standing at a gate, like into Wonderland. Okay. And it was like, I, I so wanted to buy it because that, not that I'm an Alice in Wonderland fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't dislike the movie, but like, that's not my, that's not my story. Yeah. <laughs> but that moment, is iconic for any it's it's the same as like in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory which opened in the door which we covered a few years ago and of course that's based on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um but that Roll like down. opening the door into this you know, world the factory, this other, yeah yeah you know? and then the song hits that that moment of like leaving Splinter, life behind yeah. and going into the world of fantasy is something that to me, it's it's magical. Yeah. I mean, even just talking about it right now, I feel like a little kid. And so having it 
be done now so iconically looking back at it but so beautifully so masterfully uh cinematically yeah in wizard of oz you know so much so that they shot all that stuff in black and white and then to make it happen they had to have the a body double dressed in a dress that was black and that was gray and like white. A sepia tone. And then the, the interior <laughs> of the house the had to be. And the interior of the house is painted that way. So so that it looks like it's filmed in black and white. It's painted. Because they originally the production gonna, design is black and they're white. They're originally going to go through each, like for that shot, they were going to go through and color each thing. And they're like, that's going to be too fucking long and expensive. Yeah. Why don't we, because that's what they used to do back in the day before they had the color. If you look at like, I guess, Lon Chaney's seniors, like fan of the opera. Yeah. They would go and they would add, and those some things are sometimes look brilliant. Yeah, how yeah. they do that, like I think in that scene where he comes down and masquerade of the Red Death, where he's wearing the Red Death, and that's painted that way. And you yeah. have a lot of those early movies how they would do that, but it's meticulous. You got to paint frame. each frame and that yeah. small. So with this, is they just realize, fuck it, we'll fake it by just having the interior of the house be sepia black and white have a body double walk in the frame dressed as judy garland in black and white so she opens the door steps back Out and then the frame and then the camera then- starts zooming doing, doing its move and then judy garland dorothy in color walks out and so it's but you never until it was brought to my attention i never would have noticed it i know it's it was brilliant. movie magic this movie <laughs> i mean for me wizard of oz has got to be uh you know not to just hit a bell here but it's like it is one of the greatest movies of all time like the stuff that like I used to when I got into high school this was a big movie for growing up this is like one of the only movies I can think of that my dad used to show me where it was a um, I remember one time I was at your house and I think I was in the bathroom and there was like a poster there's just a lot of like Wizard of Oz stuff. I was like, damn, what's up with all the Wizard of Oz? Stuff? Oh yeah, we have a poster in the bathroom of Wizard of Oz. Well we have a lot of old movie posters around the house. You know but it was like a book you know, sitting yeah. in the bathroom, and there was the poster, and I was like, damn, what's up with all the Wizard of Oz stuff? And yeah. Like, well, you know, like, I think you were like, well, when I was little, like, I didn't, I know my dad liked it, and I didn't know what else to get him. Yeah, so, so I used get, to get him a lot of, <laughs> a lot of Wizard you know, of Oz. Because it's like, he, that was one of the only movies he showed me that was like a cartoon movie. Like, I remember him telling me, it's like, when he was little, he went to see, like, War of the Worlds in the movie theater, and crying at the end, because he's sitting in the front row, because the alien ships are taking over. I remember him telling me to go and see, like, the revival of The Wizard of Oz, so it was a movie he showed me, and for some reason, I have a connection with it in the 80s, to the Turner trying to colorize stuff, so I don't know if Turner was trying to make the whole thing, fuck it, (laughs) (laughs) the whole thing we colored, you know, but... uh, But, um, so that, you know, and then I remember in, in 1989, it being a, or 19, is it? Yeah. 1989, it being a big deal for the 50th anniversary. So because of that, we got the 50th anniversary VHS tape. We got the, these 50th anniversary placemats and we had on our, on our kitchen table, the placemats for a good 10 years, the Wizard of Oz 50th anniversary placemats that you take out, you put out, you know, whatever, unless be fancy people are coming over, we put something nice down, you know? And then because my sister liked it, I would get her stuff. So. It's always been in my zeitgeist. So, but then when I got into my teens and seeing like uh, movies like Rebel Without a Cause that have Natalie Wood in it, you know, I used to, um, you know, think it was funny Natalie Wood's portrayal because she's like in Rebel Without a Cause, she's like, oh my god, what's gonna happen? And she's not like that. But I used to think Judy Garland's portrayal was like yeah, that yeah. also in Wizard of Oz. But when I'm watching it now, it's like how good Judy Garland is in it, where she's you know trying to be you know 
it's like Feruza Balk in Return of Oz. Like, it's really, you know, you have to have somebody to kind of hold down the fort and have it be the right choice. And, you know, Judy Garland really, you know, this put her on top, you know, and made her a, a bona fide star. But it's like, you know, it, this, it owes a lot to her, the production, and how the MGM... At the time, pe- people, to people, you got to remember that Disney is this huge powerhouse coming out that we've been doing animation for the most part and then came out with this, the Snow White movie that we, we, we did a Beauty and the Beast podcast a couple of years ago on the, on the cartoon movie, and we talked about the significance there about Disney's history, but nobody thought Disney could do it until he came out with that color movie. I think it's 1937 is the Snow White. So everybody was then, it did so well, people were looking for to try to imitate and copy, yeah. but fantasy had always been particularly hard to do. It was always like a, uh, you know, like a shot in the dark if it would succeed, and a lot of fantasy movies of the day would flop. So... When they came around to do this movie, they they got the rights to it, and uh, MGM was doing cartoons. I mean, you think about all the Tom and Jerry. We were just talking. That's all MGM. MGM at the was that Tex Freely maybe. Uh, you know, MGM was doing a lot of stuff. So you think it was like you know you had Disney, you had Warner, but then you also had MGM doing stuff. And then the guys in the fifties, when MGM closes their animation department, those guys end up Hannah and Hanna Barbera end up making Hanna-Barbera those guys yeah. you know so at the time this is something because near the end of this movie when I was watching you know when they're walking to Oz it is very much like a Disney movie you know it's very much like a cartoon but that's what MGM was known for its musicals at the time you know Warner was known for like its gangster pictures and uh, Universal was known for its horror movies MGM you know for the most part they were known for their for their um their what do you call it? Their their musicals. In nineteen thirty nine too was a was a huge hallmark. Other people call that the greatest year for movies because you have in nineteen thirty nine you have Gone with the Wind comes out, you have Withering Heights comes out, you have uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington comes out in nineteen thirty nine, you have Stagecoach come out. A lot of these quintessential movies that we look back as classics now came out in thirty nine. And yeah. this was directed by um, what's his name? Victor Fleming. Victor, Victor Fleming who leaves it to go do Gone with the Wind, which comes out the same year, and who replaces <laughs> like, yeah, there's a director who was originally uh, yeah on Singing the Rain. I'm Singing in the Rain. I'm thinking of Singing in the Rain because of Arthur Freed, the producer, wrote the song, the music song Singing in the Rain. But uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 production story of Wizard of Oz is is crazy and it's convoluted. A, it's such a dangerous set. You think? I mean, people are getting hurt. Toto gets stepped on. Terry, Toto's played by a little dog named Terry. He gets stepped on. He's out of commission for a couple weeks. Um, you have like people passing out from the heat. You have um, uh, Margaret Hamilton, who plays the Wicked Witch. She gets third-degree burns on her face and hands, and she has to be like out of commission for a number of weeks. They, She doesn't want to go back and do the... Um, the pickups because she's so scared. So they have a they have a uh, a stand in do it for her on the broom. The the and it's an effect where the broom's supposed to be flying, so there's smoke coming out of the broom that blows up and scolds and severely burns the the stand in. Then you have they're they're wearing copper paint at the time, so that's why Margaret Hamilton goes up like a fucking ball of flames. Yeah. And then you have Buddy Epson. He, he, they put paint. They put aluminum paint on Buddy him. Buddy Epson was originally the original Tin Man. Yeah, and uh, he's cast before they they refined the makeup job, but they didn't know how to do it. So instead of using paint, they used powder, aluminum powder, and they would, you know, before every take, hit him with this aluminum powder. But when you hit 
you know, you've, you put powder on and something. He's taking some deep breaths. There's like, you know, a cloud of the powder and he's breathing and he ends up breathing all this in and gets like emphysema or yeah. whatever. He's, he's, he's laid up in the hospital for, for a couple months. They have to recast him. Uh, where we talked about in rear window about these older lights, the podcast we did a couple months ago, how hot it is. So for them doing, cause this is entirely the only thing that's on location in this movie is like the, at the beginning, the shot of the clouds. That's, that's the only location <laughs> shot. Everything yeah. else is done on a back lot in a studio. So yeah, I think about how hot it had to be for them to get these shots because of we, well, we go into rear window about f- cameras, film speeds and you know, the, the, the big old bowl. You needed a lot of light. So it's 110 degrees yeah, on set to, to get an exposure on the film. Yeah. And so, you know, we didn't have the LED lights yeah. that they were shooting now. So it had these hot lights, and then you'd need so much light to get an exposure. Go listen to our rear window cast. It's, it's, yeah, and we've talked about it in other casts, yeah. too. Um, the t- film technology, uh, all that stuff I find fascinating. Yeah, vastly improved. We talked about a little bit in the bullet cast because we talked about how they were making those portable air reflexes and that you could shoot on location. You didn't need the in the film. They were making faster film at the time. But uh, you think about a, a couple hundred people on this big not set. Not only that, but the, the the Technicolor cameras that they're using are four hundred pounds. Huge, because yeah. they're actually shooting three different strips of film. Yeah, not just one piece of color film. It's it's like uh, it, it's green, blue, and red film. You know, all those. It's like the colors you kept for you hooking up your <laughs> Blu-ray player. In the, you know, <laughs> you know the, all those are going. You know, with filters to get all each color, and then they're combined into one print. Posts, uh, posts the shooting, so the cameras are gigantic. Yeah, and so like pulling that out and going on location was was not going to yeah. happen. So it's all done inside with these giant cameras. So the amount of like actual beautiful movement that this movie captures, yeah, is amazing because it's not like a little hand. It's not like you're filming it with your fucking iPhone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're filming it with something it's like, like a, a it's like a Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah. Like, say it's gonna be like one of those zip cars, you know? It's like on a on a, on a fucking crane. You know, you think about even the even the 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 the, the, the apparatus. You know, the peds and the in the, the to just physically move these cameras. You know, the dollies and the cranes and all that kind of stuff, and then. You know, since it's the antiquated early, like we're talking about makeup, like, you know, the, the cowardly lion's mask was, or, or outfit was actually made out of lion skin and fur. So he's in that sweating to death, you know. Um, I will say, though, in terms of, you know, you, you brought up movie magic, and it's become... Movie tra- it, magic. It's, it's become tradition for me to talk about how one of my favorite things about the show is going through the history of of movie magic yeah. and special effects. And well, that's why I thought it's such a good anchor, this this movie for us, because it's not only all the anniversaries we just threw out, but it's like for the our, for our show proper, it gets to that. Like It's hey, all I part remem- of that conversation. I remember even as a kid, <laughs> wow, this is fucking crazy, watching <laughs> it on television and not, and just like not having any idea, like being amazed by the fact, like how did they get the scarecrow to look like that? Yeah. Like having no concept of like, like that makeup job. Well, that's another part of the remaster. We I said the sepia, but the other big thing I noticed with this remaster, watching it on Blu-ray or whatever, is that you you get to see the detail. I never saw the detail really before of the scarecrow's close up. It looks like a, a fucking uh, a potato bag, yeah, or whatever. One of those um. You know, like potatoes, canvas, canvas. Yeah, it looks like a sack. So 
all that burlap, burlap, all that detail is on his face. So in a close up, and that's the thing, you don't get a lot of close ups in these movies, uh, which can be great, you know, these beautiful constructed uh, shots. But when you get the close up in these, you know, in, in the the black and whites or the, the romance or whatever, it's so much more meaningful when you go in and when you go close up and you see all the detail on his face and you think about how much that long that must have took. And I mean. It's just all, you know, Jack Haley, who played the lion, he had permanent scars on his face for, like, years afterward from the prosthetics. Like, we talk about Boris Karloff how, with with Jack, um, what's his name? Jack uh, Pierce, the guy, the makeup guy oh, who did yeah. Universals. Like, that, that makeup was so excruciating for Boris Karloff. For years, he walked, he had back problems because he was hunched over, or the, he had scars from the bolts in his neck. You know, like, this is, like, fucking what you're doing for your art, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, I just remember specifically looking at that. And like you said, we weren't even looking at it in the kind of detail that we can look at it now. Yeah. Because we're watching like an unmasked, unremastered, yeah, like blurry, <laughs> crappy, blurry print on uh, old CRT television. Back. I'd, I'd over the air, you yeah. know, and, and, then, and then it's blurry, it's black and white. And I'm, like not even, I don't even have the benefit of cable. So it's like messing with the antennas yeah. to get like over the air to signal. come in and. Uh, it's all for it. It's I less even than being like, I, like, just being dumbstruck yeah. as, a, as like a five year old kid, being like, how? Because you could see his face, yeah. Like not understanding like the seam, not like not seeing the seams of the makeup, yeah. <laughs> like seeing that, like he looks like a, like a burlap sack. But yet you can see his face. Well, like he has the rope underneath his neck, and yeah. then when you see it come out, it's kind of like you can. I just you know, and like as a kid, just being like, you know, because this is you know this is probably even pre things like Freddy Krueger, yeah, yeah, sure. and stuff, and I'm probably I wasn't at that point watching making of shows about things, and so it was just like pure. Like unadulterated movie magic. Yeah. <laughs> like and watching it and just being like, and this, to be honest, like never my movie. Yeah. My, this is, I believe my brother, who's about five years older than me, has, has told me that this is his favorite movie. Yeah. Of all time. Me, not so much. Like I, I watched it every year. Um, but, but like, I remember as a kid, not like, oh, it's like it's on again. Yeah. But now looking back at it, and my viewings as a kid and, and kind of remembering the things that I did think as opposed to, you know, like I remember thinking it was like kind of boring and you always caught like the first part. Yeah. Because by then you were little and maybe you didn't always catch the end of it because you'd have to go to bed or something. Yeah, something else to do. <laughs> but like always watching the munchkin part. Yeah. Um, Her journey starts. But now looking back on it and like the matte paintings. And That's another thing. The makeup and even the... The tornado, I, that I, I mean that you know I mean this movie we've talked about it with things like Labyrinth and certain movies we've talked about that are like just firing on all cylinders when it comes to the art yeah. of creating magic on film yeah um, and this is probably one of the earliest examples of just like every department coming together sure. and creating an illusion yeah that to this day enchants children <laughs> and it's seamless it's it's still it's yeah it still holds up i mean and that opening sequence where the the, the cyclone comes it's, i remember being scared 
that frightened me when when one of the farmhands was like, "It's a twister, it's a twister." You know, you see that fuck. You're like, "Holy!" You know, and that's something that's real. You know, another thing too is the era this comes out in '39. It's right before we get into World War II, so we're still in that Depression era, and we still have people who are, are so kind of like hard up on their luck and stuff, and there's poverty, and so people are going for the escapism to cinema. So you have a lot of those crazy musicals the gold diggers of 1936 1937 you have a lot of this escapism in the theater so people going to see this and you know and then identifying with her in this bland farm world life and she wants a better world whole new world you know i'm so sick of this pedestrian <laughs> life you know she's singing like bells songs or you know um oh, she's looking for something over the rainbow yeah you know but but like you said this this actually teaches people that like you know look look to yourself accept yourself for what you are that kind of you know the, the life lesson but she's there and she's you know and then when you have the the cyclone coming down the road and the doors coming off and she can't get in the fucking storm cellar it's like right it's shit in a brick and people this is people people had to deal with tornadoes and shit back then and floods and you know the big flood and the hurricanes and so this is this is sto- still dealing yeah. with that so it's like frightening it, it certainly captures your imagination and um you know and then seeing like mr marvel uh, what's his name i think it's frank morgan uh, you know, I've always, you know, I like him and, you know, talking to him and him being a nice guy and trying to get her to go home. And then when he gets home and then, the, you know, her escape and then this, this whole dream sequence where she's up and she's seen people going by, the cow flies by. And yeah. The, you Which know, has been parodied robo- yeah. on how many, like even Twister, Freddy, even Freddy Krueger. Is he flying? There's, there's a, well, I forget which movie. I want to say it's Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, but there is one where it's like Freddy on a broomstick. Oh, come by, you know, with like a witch hat on. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just mind-blowing. And she gets to Oz and then, you know, she meets these munchkins. Again, it's like I've, I noticed on this viewing a level of forced perspective where some shots they have are like a little higher up like they do in Darby O'Gill. So it looks the munchkins look even smaller than they really are. Yeah. And having, you know, all I used to love The Undertaker coming out. And he, you know, I've heard like, like all these songs are so ingrained. I still whistle if i only had a brain all the time or i will say oh we owe or, or do we all we owe we owe her or whatever the lyric they're singing it's just all this stuff is so icon- over the rainbow to me is like one of the best standards of all time yeah you know well, I mean, it is I mean, it's a classic you know and this um, is something that they were going to cut and you know? of course, <laughs> and of course so, you know studio heads were like you know what we don't need we're, it. we're only like 10 minutes into this thing yeah do we She's really want to sing a song do we really want to slow things down with a song some sad song in black and white you're gonna lose the kids you know the kids aren't gonna want to listen to this you know uh but it's so it's like there's so much going for it and you know when you look back on it too uh they threw so much money at this movie i don't even see a lot of the seams in the movie i don't really see like it still kind of holds up the, all the matte paintings look great um all the 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 establishing shots of the yellow brick road and like you know the, the you could clearly tell it's probably it goes from like live action studio to like the matte painting yeah, it's like yeah. it's all perfect you know or the you know the wizard the the uh i love the art deco of the of the emerald city versus like the german expressionism of the wizard of the witch's castle mm-hmm. the witch margaret hamilton scared the shit out of me when i was little she's one of the probably one of the greatest villains of all time i remember i was a mr rogers watcher growing up and there's the iconic episode where margaret hamilton was coming over and mr rogers was going to explain to the kids who were scared of the the witch that it's all you know that's makeup and it's an act and i remember she came over and she brought with her the shit because of course she does and um it's the first time i guess since she did the role that she 
like you know, the, Mr. Rogers, like, well, you put the stuff back on to show the kids. It's not, you know. <laughs> so he puts the stuff on, and she uh, she looks like the witch. So I remember him explaining it all to me. So from a very young age, I knew who Margaret Hamilton was, and that she's this nice little old lady who actually is the wizard. Or, I mean, sorry, is the witch. Yeah, yeah. You know, like so, it, like you're saying, there's so many points in our in in the Americana or the world that this is referenced. Yeah. You know, that you can't kind of get away from it, you know? Well, it's like, you know, and not to say, obviously she she was a witch and, you know. She was a witch, yeah. You know, you, I don't know enough about the history of the way witches were portrayed to know, like, chicken or the egg. Yeah. But, you know, when you say to me, and I think for most generations, you're like, Frankenstein. What you see in your head is Boris Karloff. Yeah. You know, I think for for even uh, now, when I, I think for a lot of people, if you said like, "What does a witch look like?" Well, it's, this is who we dress dress up as Halloween. Yeah, green outfit like, with this a hook is nose, like we think of her you know, as what a witch looks. Even like. when I think about the Hansel and Gretel, uh, maybe because I've seen whatever they've done these live action stories on, like the F- Shelley Winters Fairy Tale Theater or whatever. Um, you know. When you see a witch in those, they're maybe playing off the, the Margaret Hamilton witch, yeah. where it's this, you know, even that movie, Witch, that came out a couple of years ago, that was all freaky. They kind of, <laughs> you know, they look like, uh, you know, these kind of witches. And it's, it's, uh, so it's a very iconic, scary uh, concept for me, you know, and then even getting into Return to Oz, the, the, uh, what's her face in that? The, the, the witch in that, um, uh, Tom, what's her name? Um, Mombi. She to me is like one Mumby. of the Mummy. <laughs> she's one of the most scariest <laughs> Jumbo. She's one of the most scariest villains as well as of all time. She's taking her fucking head off. She's she's got a hall of heads. Yeah. We can get to that. But it's you know, it's so it's all this stuff is so iconic, you know, for her and and and, and having Toto. And you get a little like, interesting idea which goes back to his book where you take like um Disney cartoons where you have Mickey's a mouse, he can talk. You have uh, you know, uh, uh, Goofy can talk and he's a dog but for some reason Pluto is a is, is Mickey's pet he can't talk he just barks Yeah. so you have a level of that here where you have you know why is the lion able to talk and all these other things are able to Toto can't talk you know yeah. well yeah especially because then you get to Belinda is the Be- Belinda because then you could be like well Toto's not of Oz but when Chicken gets but there, then when the like, chicken shows up the chicken can talk yeah so maybe Toto and just that's has something in the to say stories. that's yeah. not even just that they took that that's from, from the, the, uh, the sequels you know, uh, but I mean, it's so iconic with with uh, you know them trying to make it. You had a lot of people in the running uh, instead of Judy Garland. They were making thinking about putting Shirley Temple in there. Well, Shirley Temple was box office gold then. Yeah, and and, and uh, Judy Garland was a relative unknown uh, comparatively. Uh, you know, I think you know there's people like Arthur Freed who I don't think you know at least in when you talk about these movies that doesn't get the credit. He was a songwriter. Um, he had written a lot of classic songs. Ended up writing uh, "Singing in the Rain" with uh, uh, I, I'm guessing I don't know which one is the lyricist and which one was the the music writer, but um, Nasio mm-hmm. Herb Brown, and I believe it's their music that it is. You know, you think of the jukebox musical. And, and, like the movie Singing in the Rain is like one of the original jukebox musicals. It was taking music, and then of course, and and uh, 
the other Gene, great Gene Kelly, uh, American in Paris, yeah. was that was taking the music of the Gershwins and putting it into a musical. Those songs weren't written for that. But the, so he was a successful songwriter, uh, Arthur Freed, and he wanted to get more into filmmaking, and so he was given. Uh, he became a producer, and one of his dreams projects was to turn Oz into a musical for MGM, and so they let him do that. And so it was him, it was Arthur Freed that lobbied for Judy Garland. Yeah, because uh, she was only doing, like, the Mickey Rooney. They had a, like, they did. They started a bunch of films together at the time, and she hadn't yeah, done a lot. But he had written a song. He had written music for uh, uh, for one of those big, like, spectacular, you know... Uh, Musical, yeah, extravaganza for, for MGM, and and she sang one of the songs in it, and he just loved her and thought that she was, you know, the way she interpreted the song as a vocalist and all that. So he really wanted her, and so it was. We get Judy Garland as Dorothy because of Arthur Freed, and also this movie gets probably off the ground because of Arthur Freed. And it's a push, like you're saying. It's it's kind of a risk to have her in it because at the time she's 17 or 16, and you want to, you know, she's supposed to be playing much younger. Yeah. You know. Um, then also in the running was Dina Durbin, who we brought. I brought up when we were talking again about the 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 um, Rear Window podcast. There's that movie Stranger on a Train that she's in, where she's you know at 125th Street and she sees a murder and she gets off and looks. That's Dina Durbin, and you know you had a bunch of people in the running for it. And uh, they end up settling on Judy Garland. Uh, I, I guess because of that, because of him, Freed yeah. is like you know she's the one. I mean, I think it's a great choice. It would because you know when people think of Shirley Temple, you think of like her as like a seven or eight year old. But at this time, I think she's a little older. Yeah, and thirty nine because that's like the early early thirties are her being that age. But then she would have been the right age if they had done the movie in the early thirties. Judy uh, Shirley Temple is the age that she's supposed to be five yeah. or six. You and know, maybe, yeah, you we think of Shirley Temple as that age, but then just later she's in maybe the, into the forties. She's the Bachelor in the Bachelor Bob, Bob, great Bob, movie. Bobby, so- Bobby Soxer with Cary Grant. Yeah, and, uh, she later does. She later has a television show in nineteen sixty. Then they do a television adaptation of the land of the marvelous land of Oz. Yeah. and she plays uh, Ozma, I think in yeah. that. Um, but yeah, we always think of her as that little, that little girl. Yeah. But uh, she was she had a career well into adulthood. And then they have, uh, like we said, they get Buddy Epson, and then they have Ray Bolger. And originally, Buddy Epson's supposed to be the scarecrow, and then Ray Bolger is going to be the Tin Man. But then Ray Bolger's like, "Look, I'm a vaudeville star. The reason I, why I got into vaudeville was because I love the guy who um, who played." Uh, the scarecrow on stage. It's all because of him. I got into this. Can we can we switch roles? So he lobbied, but he also had a dancing style that yeah. was kind of loose, that was kind of suited See, to scarecrow. And this is another thing too, because you think about whoever was on the stage. Um, I think his name was Stone, the the actor who played him on stage. He evidently patented this certain walk. That then, then I guess in the era, people had so many people had seen this stage adaptation that they, th- you know, is is so the concern with the studio heads is can Bolger pull off the scarecrow quote unquote walk? Yeah, and then they're like, oh, since he's a dancer, like you're saying, he can, of course he could do the walk. So it was an easy turn. So Epstein, uh, Epson uh, was like, sure, you know, we'll switch. Yeah, I don't care. So he goes to the yeah, and then he <laughs> famous last four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he goes to the um to 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 be the scarecrow. He goes to be the Tin Man, and then he inhales this aluminum. 
So then with the first director they get on board. Well, they, actually, even before that, but also they originally wanted to, the thought was that they would animate the lion. Yeah. Was original thought. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. Yeah, well, they were even <laughs> talking about talking to Disney because Disney was talking about for a minute maybe doing something with this. Cause, and then Disney quickly, I guess MGN owned the rights to the first book, but then Disney bought everything else. So they own the rest of the catalog. But I don't it, think they bought the rights to that stuff until the 50s. Is that when they did the, they were going to do it for the, the like the, for the tele- television, the Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like 56, uh, maybe Disney buys yeah. the rights to all the subsequent books. But I think at the time Disney was toying with the I'm idea. Sure he was probably. looking at stuff like, I mean, what can I was, adapt? He, he, he was he fucking was going through everything. <laughs> fucking Disney. Yeah, you knew, you knew what he was doing. <laughs> I think we talked, we must have talked about how Disney... Oh, ben- it benefited from the copyright laws, but then of the time wrote them so that, and then fucking yeah. lobbied to get them changed so that nobody could fucking yeah, do, do, do his again. stuff. Well, that that's in the um, <laughs> that's in the Beauty and the Beast podcast. Uh, yeah, and then they for the Wizard, they were talking about getting W. C. Fields in there because W. C. Fields was a huge at the time, and he was like, "I don't want to be in this because it just seems like it's more than a cameo." So they're like, well, how about if we boost up your role? We'll have you play other parts in it. So he's like, okay. And then there was some sort of scheduling conflict, and he wanted more money. So at the at the last minute, they made this. They padded out this role for the wizard, where he's actually playing five different parts. And I think W. C. Fields says no, or he drops out, and they replace him with um, Frank Morgan, who I love as and. That guy ends up playing Professor Marvel, the wizard, the doorman at the Emerald City, the the guy driving the buggy with the with the horse of a different color, the Emerald City guard, and then he ends up playing the Wizard of Oz at the end with the with the face and all yeah. that, you know. Um, and he's a guy you see, you know, in, in all those era. He's in a lot of stuff at the time. I, I do think that you know you're you're getting to the directors, you know. This movie ultimately had five directors, and like. Uh, I don't know, six or seven screenwriters. Yeah, you know? I mean, they went through a lot of screenwriters. Because it's the studio system. So this is the kind of thing where they'd be like, you know, Blake's an actor, he finishes a movie on the Friday, they'd hand him a script and say, hey, you're starting this on a Monday. And that was the idea. It was yeah. like, you're, con- you're a contract player. You don't, you, for the most part, you don't really get to pick what you want to be. And you can lobby for something, I think, or you can bring a, a, a probably a, maybe a, project to them yeah but it was more you know the heads of this and it, it's yeah i understand the, the system where it's you know and that's why you have these guys coming out with like five movies a month or whatever because it was just it was a it was a it was a uh what do you call that like a factory yeah you know and so they went through a lot of different scripts and and, and, and a lot of different directors the first one was this guy uh norman tarog t-a-u-r-t-a-u-r-o-g <laughs> apparently he he's only, an OG. <laughs> he apparently only ended up doing like screen tests and stuff. Yeah, he did. I guess he did. A, he didn't get fully into production. I thought he did a little filming, but none of that survives. But they found a lot of this stuff is like they think you know stuff hasn't survived, and they've come across it. Like they came across somebody's home movies, and the home movies have in it like Epson dressed as the Scarecrow. I mean, as the Tin Man, and his look is very different. Evidently, like. His version, if 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 he had taken the picture to fruition, where the you know you have Epson as this as the Tin Man, you have uh, Judy Garland's hair. I think is a little more like red. It's auburn. Yeah, yeah I think it's like, you know, it might even be closer to blonde, and it's a very different. She's wearing a wig. Yeah, and it's more glamorous. So, and, and I think there's another there's another aspect too that he changed as well. It's well, not even a musical. <laughs> well, well, I mean that because that stuff is all from. Uh, Richard Thorpe, yeah, who sh- ended up shooting a, f- a total of nine days, yeah, until Buddy Epson got sick, yeah, and uh, 
And then so they had to stop down production. Yeah. Shit. And then they looked at the, what he had shot and they just didn't like it. Yeah. And part of it was the Dorothy look. And so when the, so then they brought in George Cukor. Cukor. Yeah. Who I don't even think he shot anything, but his biggest contribution was, and he wasn't even, they weren't even thinking that he would actually, they didn't know how long he would stick around because he was actually going to go and do Gone with the Wind. Yeah. But he came in during this uh, lag time in between when uh, production, and he was like, we can't have Dorothy look like this. So it was his contribution to like, let's have her just have her regular brown hair. And he was the one that put her like in the pigtails. Oh, to make her look a little younger. Yeah, he gave, he changed the hairstyle. We, we and, sh- then he, and then he told her because apparently she was very stiff in the performances. Some bl- people blame the wig that she just like felt awkward in it. But he apparently his biggest contributions were the hair. And then he went to her and said, "Like, look, just be yourself. You line <laughs> up a little bit." And then. He ended up leaving to go do Gone with the Wind, and then that's when they brought in Victor Fleming. Um, we should also mention that the, one of the reasons this, aside from the W.C. Fields bit, they w- got this off the ground because they were thinking of having it be a, a vehicle for Eddie Cantor. Uh, to, uh, and Eddie Cantor was a huge radio star at the time. He's like one of the first bona fide radio sensations, had a radio show that was very, very, very famous. And he must have been doing talkies, so they were thinking of making this into a vehicle where he could play the scarecrow in it. And that's what got it off the ground. And then they hit all these screenwriters. They have, like, Herman Mankiewicz uh, comes in, who did uh, Citizen Kane, Pride of the Yankees, a lot of Marx Brothers movies. They had him polish the script up. Then they gave it to, to this other team, uh, Noel Langley. And it was at the in Ogden Nash. But at the time, what they would do was... I guess it it was regular procedure where they where they would have different people writing it, working on it at the same time, but not knowing other people are writing on it yeah. or working on it. So then you would hand in your drafts, and then I guess the execs would look at stuff and keep what they liked. But they ended up going f- through at least I guess like six or so screenwriters to you know that are doing rewrites where they're doing this or that. They're you know it's 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 not towards the book so much. It's more you know stuff's a little darker. They want you know the scarecrow was going to be a little more stupid or the Tin Man was going to be a criminal and and that's why he's heartless and then, so then they they kind of like no let's just go back more. But then one of the also things they want to do I think it's the producer here. Uh, what's his face uh, Merlin Melvin. Uh, D. Roy, who's who's overseeing this whole thing, it's his idea to I think lighten up on the magic, like let's not make it so much fantasy based, you know, have that take a step back and present it more of the fish out of water with the musical, you know, you can have everything around you be crazy, but like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't ever look at it being like like Harry Potter where Harry Potter's waving wands and stuff, even yeah. though there's witches and stuff in it, and there's spells. To me, it never comes off to me as a fair it's a fairy tale movie but it's not like a magician magic you know because i think that takes well, a back seat there's the element that's like another classic narrative convention you know which we were talking about earlier which is like there's also like the fish out of water yeah thing, which is like she's being introduced to this world and we're being introduced to the world her, through, yeah. she's her, her conduit yeah and so she's not magical yeah um she's the every Every girl. Yeah. And, uh... And, of course, I find it interesting that, like, Arthur Freed, who wanted to do this project, who was a songwriter, didn't end up writing the music. They hired the fantastic, classic, uh... film, uh, music duo of Edgar Yip. Yip! His nickname, Yip 
Harburg, and of course, the great Harold Arlen, who wrote the songs, including Over the Rainbow. And uh, as an example of like the other thing kinds of things they wrote is they wrote It's Only a Paper Moon. It's only a paper moon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie, Paper Moon, with um, the, the um, Tatum O'Neill, the O'Neills. And so, uh, you know... But that's Tim Pan Alley. That's like the era of like they're writing these songs that like like look at Irving Berlin or or Cole Porter just shitting out these tunes that are like you know a dime a dozen and then they become these you know become the American Songbook and it you know ultimately I think it gets like six nominations at the Academy Awards but it does win for Over the Rainbow gets best yeah. song and the score by uh, Herbert Stothert wins uh, best best original score. Yeah, it gets nominated for best picture, but funny if it loses the Gone with the Wind. Which, which Victor is Fleming <laughs> leaves Wizard of Oz <laughs> to go do. To go finish Gone with the Wind. And so uh, even though Victor Fleming is 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 uh, credited as the director, uh, uh, another director named King Vitter or Vider, V-I-D-O-R, he comes in and he actually finishes the picture, which is, I believe, maybe... It's definitely he does all the Kansas stuff. Yeah. And he might also have done, like, the... Uh, some of the some of the you know off to see the wizard on the oh walking down the road yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so he did some of the most he ended up being the director for some of the most iconic sure like long the 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 longest long, the scenes that have had the most longevity in pop culture yeah um, but he wouldn't take credit for any of it until after v- Victor Fleming passed away. yeah like because it was 40s. really Fleming's movie yeah um, and this is another thing too where like over the years they only had one accredited director on it. You know, so if you pick up the back of the box, it's like, oh, okay, directed by you know, wow, he did a lot of things that year, you know. But then when yeah. you when you start th- these books and stuff coming out, you start realizing that it had a, so Fleming a, a ends up replacing George Cukor. Fleming ends up replacing George Cukor for Wizard of Oz, and then replaces him on Gone with the Wind. Yeah, which is it's uh, a it's a sad <laughs> it's, it's a sad state of affairs. But they go through a whole bunch of like they uh, another. Uh, big girl at the time was a woman named Gail Sondergaard and she was a really good looking like leading lady and they originally cast her as the Wicked Witch and they think about like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs the witch in that is this really hot looking you know what is it Malevolence Malevolence I can't Uh, say her name Malevolence Malevolence Yeah, I would have been able to say it had you you not you and your damn kids and (laughs) And your dumb dog Maleficent Maleficent something like that yeah you know she's really good looking so their first idea is they do a couple screen test shots of Gail uh, Sondergaard dressed as a really hot looking witch and then they're like about to go on it and then the executive's like no we want her to be ugly so they come her back they take her back they tell her that and they ugly her up and she's like I'm not gonna do this looking like a hag screw this so she leaves and that's when they get Margaret Hamilton to come in and Margaret Hamilton had just worked on uh, another movie called Babes in Arms coming out the same year in 1939 with Judy Garland so they'd become friends but I think also in that movie she's an evil woman that for some reason, persecutes well, Judy Garland. I, mean, I know she fits a demographic. <laughs> she was typecast. Yeah, she, <laughs> no ways about it, you know. But then also, uh, Gail Sonderhart leaves this, and she ends up doing a movie in 1940 called The Bluebird, where she plays this big villain in that. That's very famous. So you know, they get the evil witch idea, you know, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the munchkins, they have to do this huge casting call over the world to find, like, they have to get over, like, 100 little people to be, to, to fill this out. They're paying them $125 a week, which is, I guess, about, like, over two grand nowadays, you know, and, and it's just such a, a, a terrible, terrible shoot, and we're talking about, <laughs> you know, dangerous sets. You know, you have Toto get stepped on, both people playing witches get scolded, and not only, she's wearing copper paint, green paint. So when she gets scolded uh, because she's on an elevator in Munchkinland, it's like when she disappears, she's supposed to, the smoke's supposed to come up, she's supposed to drop down this elevator and then the fire and then she's gone. They do the first take, it's fine. They film it. The second take, the elevator fails so she's standing there when the flames shoot up. She gets scolded on her, her hands and face. They go over to and she's like, ah. So they, they, they're trying to take the, the, the copper paint off her, and they're using whatever the hell they're using is burning her. So they have to end up, I forget what they end up using, like rubbing alcohol, you yeah. know, to get the, you know, so she's out of commission. Like I said, the stand in, the, the freaking broom blows up, and she gets scalded. You have the people playing the flying monkeys. There's a sequence, evidently, when they're on the strings. The strings start breaking, so they fall to the studio floor. You know, like we said, we had Buddy Epson's almost dying because he's inhaling aluminum. And of course, Buddy Epson goes on, I think, for our generation, know him best as Jed Clampett. Yeah, as the, the Beverly Hillbillies. Or people also know Barnaby Jones. That was a show in the 70s. Uh, he, he ends up being that guy. Uh, but, yeah, most but, oh, Buddy Clampett on the hillbillies um they're also the heat conditions the snow sequence in the poppy field is there that's asbestos they're just dropping asbestos down <laughs> because that's it looks really good as snow you know and people are like funny weather we're having you know ain't it you know uh so you know there's this, this whole bunch of stuff going on in this you know they get jack haley to be the 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 tin man and he's a, also a big vaudeville star uh bert L- L- Larm, I forget how you pronounce his name, but he, I recognize from a couple of uh, Tur- Shirley Temple movies. He plays the Cowardly Lion. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, since it's the old days of, you, they haven't been doing it very long, that's why they're wearing toxic makeup. They're using asbestos. Yeah. You know, they're doing it's stuff. Also the, it's also the days. It's like trial and error. <laughs> I mean, it's also the days of like. Six day shoots, eight, 18 hours a day. Yeah, I'm you sure know, like, I'm sure unions weren't really. Uh, <laughs> what's a union? Yet. You know, it's like you know. But it's also the days where, because there's a story where apparently, uh, the the actors, the, the part of the ensemble, would frequently kind of make Judy Garland laugh because yeah. they were funny. Yeah, and you can see in the film sometimes like she starts to smile and then she pulls it together to deliver her line, or she puts like Toto in front of her face to hide her smile. But apparently there was one scene where she kept on kind of breaking up a little bit, and Victor Fleming comes over and slaps her in the face. Yeah, he took her to the side and slaps her. But they evidently have a good relationship because the story goes is that she overheard how bad he felt about it. Yeah, the 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 writer he tells a story where one of the writer script writers tells a story where Fleming comes over and says you know expresses that he felt so bad about it he's like i wish she would just punch me in the nose he's like why he's like because i feel so bad about it i deserve it and she overhears this that she comes over she's like well i'm not gonna punch you in the nose but i'll kiss you on the nose yeah and uh but those are the days where you could just slap an actor <laughs> yeah you shoot a gun in the you back know, fr- and all freaking brought that up into yeah. this William freaking brought that into the 70s but doing uh, stuff back like, in the day you didn't think anything of just slapping an actress in the face yeah or, or, or knocking somebody out you know <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> it's, cr- it's crazy they the um you know they, they and they also they trimmed down the witches scenes because they thought the witch was too frightening for kids I mean there's a lot of stuff from the book 
that they couldn't translate. Like, uh, you know, there's a scene when they get to Oz and they have to cross a river. Yeah. And then, you know, the scarecrow gets stuck in the middle and they have to bring like a, uh, a stork to save them. You know, a lot of this stuff, that, or the, there's a queen of the mice that saves them in a sequence and there's stuff that they couldn't f- logistically do. And then after, when they get to the wizard, you know, in the first part of the book, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West isn't even mentioned until they get to Oz. And once they get to Oz and they meet, you know, she meets the lion, she meets the scarecrow, she meets the Tin Man. Tin Man's got a really messed up backstory, which you hint at at Return to Oz, where it's like he's, you know, this woodsman for this, and he's in, he's in love with this woman, but then his axe gets enchanted by this evil woman, and she he acts accidentally ends up hacking each limb off at a time and he has to replace it by like a you know with a and that's how he be, fills out and becomes a tin woodsman mm-hmm. you know but by that time they get to the emerald city and they you know meet the wizard the wizard is like you know he sees him once a day and he he shows up as different incantations each person like you know one person seeing him as like a scary rhino whatever he thinks is going to scare them and then that's only when they bring him up like i want you to go find the wicked wizard wicked witch of the west and i want you to bring her broom back you know and um they don't ever even she's not even brought up until then and then it's you know she's more of a something where it's crazy where she um you know, she's so wicked, her blood dried up years before. She carries an umbrella because of, you know, she's the fear of the rain. And, uh, you know, in the, in the, at the end of this movie, in the 1939 movie, she only throws the bucket on the witch because the witch sets the scarecrow on fire. And she's trying to put the scarecrow out. And she accidentally throws a bucket of water on the, on, uh, on the scarecrow and it hits the witch. And that's how the witch dissolves. Where in the book, she gets so mad at the witch because the witch, like, uh, pushes or kicks uh, Toto with her umbrella that out of spite she grabs the fucking water and she throws the water on him on the witch and that's how the witch ends up dying and then there's a whole sequence where they go back and then you have the whole thing where the balloonist you know he, he, he there is the realization that he's he's a fraud he's like I'm from like you and the whole like the movie goes yeah and then he ends up you know he, he he only makes a balloon that can go up and down he doesn't have any control so when he gets launched they're like what are we gonna do they suggest why don't you go to Glinda and then so there's this whole journey where they have to go to find to go to the Wicked Witch of the South which is Glinda and when they they have to go through a, uh, a, a land of China like like Chinese China like porcelain dolls uh-huh. and it's very freaky where the whole world is made of China and they're all very small yeah and you see a little bit of that in that James Franco Sam Raimi movie yeah and they're all very scared they don't want to get touched because they can break easy and there's a joker that's broke and then she's like can I take one of you home and they're like no you can't take one of us home <laughs> to put on, you know and then there's some other things that ends up happening and then they finally get to the Wicked Witch of the South and that's when she's like no you've had your oh this is another thing too the slippers are silver <laughs> yeah in the book which it is was a big a, thing for the movie they created yeah, the, the ruby slippers for the Technicolor but it was the silver because at the time it's like this you know and the witch tells her like no you've had the fucking power the whole time you could go home you know but for the movie they end up yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh jesus (laughs) oh no we're going by 30s rules but they that's an invention of the of the movies because they're like what'll look good on technicolor ruby slippers can glow really nice so they they, that's an and that ends up happening when we get to return to oz disney had that's the only thing which we should start transitioning into so uh you know, we they put Jello on the, the the horses. I mean, the other thing I think we should 
touch on is like the iconic lines in the movie. There's so many lines, you know, that, that have been in my catalog for years that come out of like funny weather we're having, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, uh, you know, all those different. Well, that's become, you know, you know, that's like. It's, it's kind of trans transcended into shorthand. something for something else. Yeah. Um, so it ends up coming out and it ends up doing, you know, very, very well. And it, Although and it doesn't make its money back in no. the first run. Yeah, which they end up being very upset about. Because partially, uh, I mean, they, they cite two, like, big reasons, which is, one, the way theaters worked back then, there weren't, like, these multiplexes. The theaters, for the most part, were owned by the studios. Yeah. And they only had one screen. So, uh, you know, they had to... Not like today. They, it's not like you could just keep a movie in the theater... On one projector or two screens 24 hours a while day. While they were making it... You know, if it, was, if it was successful, you couldn't just keep it there. Yeah. Because the next movie's coming. Yeah, a week later. So... Uh, it it didn't have the it couldn't it couldn't play in the theater long enough. You didn't have multiplexes. Yeah, like and it, you didn't have independent movie theaters for the most part. Like MGM owned the movie theater. Yeah, Lowe's, <laughs> you know, movie theaters. So uh, that's part part of it. And also, it was 1939, and World War II was right around the corner. And all of a sudden, uh, not too long after the movie came out, the world was preoccupied with with a war with. Uh, yeah, more because things. what's his face? Hitler invades Poland in '39, the same year. They do when they f- when they're done filming it, they end up going and screening it. They have a couple screenings, and it's over two hours long. And they're like, "We got to shorten this thing," so they cut out a couple stuff. They cut out the jitterbug. That I guess now is very famous. There's a jitterbug song that they cut out, which is more. I guess they were trying to feed to the trend of like the swing era. Um, and then there's a couple other songs that they end up cutting out because they want to just bring the the the, the the running time down like there's a couple like reprise reprisal a song she sings you know over the rainbow when she's being locked up by the witch but they find it too depressing and sad so they yeah. cut that out um you know the, a couple tales heads of tales evidently at the beginning of the movie you know the um the 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 farmhand that's playing the tin man he is working on like some sort of machine in the barn that's gonna stop tornadoes from happening that's gonna suck the so she says when you see Auntie M, she says to him, like, you know, I see you working on that fa- that confounded machine in there. And that's the reference. So, like, there's a lot of stuff they took out, you know, and they get it to, like, I guess, like, over, just over an hour and a half. And uh, for whatever reason, they want to keep it running quicker. And this is stuff for years they thought were gone until recently. They they find they found the foot the rehearsal footage, which has no sound. Of the jitterbug scene they have the original song they have a lot of rhino put out in 2009 a, a two-disc box set of all this stuff so there is different versions there's another version of um if i only had a brain which is a little more sh- like i guess slower and a little more sad and slow They're like no we want it upbeat and quicker you know yeah so there's a lot of stuff that still survives that now there's you can all go that, a lot of that stuff they would record ahead of time. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because they had to film to it. Yeah, then so much so that evidently there is this, the, when Epps. they're all singing, yeah, he's yeah. still in that. And we're off to see the wizard when they're all running down. That's, that's Buddy Epson singing in, in the chorus with the three or four of them as the Tin Man singing, or the Woodsman. A couple of things. Uh, are also, uh, the in addition to this aspect of you know, they didn't have the multiplexes and everything. But you also, like, the mo- going to see a movie was an all-day thing. So it wasn't like they just showed Wizard of Oz over and over again. Because then you had you had, sh- had a short. You had a newsreel. <laughs> you had a newsreel. You had, all this stuff. You had a cartoon. Yeah, and yeah. apparently for, like, you know, during its run in New York City, 
uh, Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney were in New York, and then they would they would do a the half first hour. Week. Yeah, they would have to do a, a half hour long show yeah. before every screen, which isn't <laughs> uncommon because when you're getting out of vaudeville, vo- you know, th- the theaters that are owned by Lowell's, like you're saying, that was how they used to make the these guys made zillions of dollars by making these theaters to have these shows. They would run the circuits that these people would go to in vaudeville. So when talkies st- or movies start coming in and replacing the live acts, it wasn't. It was uh, it was common for you to have a live act, and then people would see a movie, and then the live act would come out again. So that's why you have surviving, you know, organists in the theater because they would play to the silent movie or whatever. So I think it's con- it, it was still kind of common in the era. Yeah. But it's weird that you would have the for the first week or two you'd have because Mickey Rooney was under contract. He came out and did some shtick with Judy Garland, and then he they got him for like a third week. He left, but then they brought in uh, what's his name. Um, Roy Bolger and um, Jack Haley, I think, the, the Tin Man and the Scarecrow, to do stuff with Judy Garland. So they went on tour with her for another couple of weeks. Yeah. If you were lucky enough to see him like in the New York area or something, you'd see either before or after followed by it's almost like Q&A or, you know like, <laughs> like a little colloquium. Yeah. You know, they would they would come and do this, this kind of a thing. And um, so the movie comes out, like you said, doesn't make the money back, but then it gets re-released in 1949 and it makes a crap load of money gets a TV premiere in 1956 and I think it's the first time a TV uh, a movie comes on and the entire network because in the old days you could have local affiliates play what they want but it might be the first time that a movie is televised nationwide and that's in 1956 and then as the we get into to different advancements in technologies this is one of the only movies well it comes out like we talked about in the 70s it came out in Super 8 format for a 10 minute long cut of it. Yeah. And then it also came out in Super 8 format the entire film. So you got what like 20 <laughs> 20, you know, 20 reels that yeah. you you know you're you're replacing uh in the 70s, you know, for this entire movie and then like we said it in, you know it comes out like on VHS in 1980 and then it has, you know, laserdisc and v- and DVD releases all this kind of a thing like that. But also uh, MGM releases a direct sequel in 1972. Yes, called Journey Back to Oz, starring yeah. Liza. It's an animated. Film. It's an a- yeah, a- animated film. But sorry, Liza, Li- Liza Minnelli, who's Judy Garland's daughter, as Dorothy. Yeah, uh, also has an inter- <laughs> some other interesting guy, Paul Paul Lind as Pumpkin. <laughs> it's, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> but because uh, well, they were all doing Margaret Hamilton films. comes back, but she doesn't play the witch. She plays Aunt M. Yeah, she comes back and doing voice work and stuff. They end up in 2013. They say this is the oldest movie they take to redo and make a 3D version out of it, so they can play it in IMAX. And they redo it, make it a 3D version, and then it actually gets reclassed by the MPAA as PG-13 because it has frightening imaging in it. But the original movie still has kept its G rating. But they had to reclass because it's technically a new movie, so they they reclass it as a PG-13 movie. Um, I do it on a personal note. Uh, for anybody that either lives in L.A. or is going to visit L.A., uh, one of the things I like to do when I'm there, and I, I don't do it all the time because I, I've, I've done it for most of the studios already, but I like I going on the studio tours I think is very cool. And if you go to the Sony Studios, and you take the Sony Studio tour because uh, it's it's formally MGM so oh okay and it's also one of the least expensive of the tours that's a good so thing so you get the most 
bang for your buck, I feel. But one of the th- stops on the tour is the place, the like the musical soundstage, which apparently when it was built was not built for film recording. I mean, for mute for sound recording, it was built to, built to film in. But it ends up having like perfect. It ends up having perfect sound, and they've tried to actually replicate that studio by taking measurements and trying to figure out how they could build that studio other places. But they can never get it to sound quite the, like the way this one sounds. And the reason why I bring it up here is because like, why do you bring it up here? Not only are there so many classic scores have been recorded there. But that room is where Judy Garland recorded over the rainbow. And you've been in that room, so And you can stand there when they tell you that. And it's like, holy shit. I'm in the room that she's saying that in. It's like when Dion and I went, we went to take a, a tour, of, a private tour of the Disney studios. And unfortunately, we didn't get to go into a lot of the things because it's a working studio. But when we were walking, oh, that's where like Mary Poppins were shot. And I remember Dion and I looking at each other. We're walking down the path. We're like, "This is where fucking <laughs> you know Dick Van Dyke every every <laughs> you know, yeah you know like they walked on this path to get to that studio. So there's like this amazing uh, feeling of of history and film history when you're in when you're at these places. Yeah. But I remember like you know they're naming some of the scores that are, were done in that in that studio, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And then like, and this is like. Judy Garland stood in the studio and recorded Over the Rainbow. You're like, holy shit. Well, that, <laughs> we talked about that that Disney tour on the, um, again, on the Beauty and the Beast podcast, but every bit of that where it's like, you know, this studio, they recorded the, the first digital recording for the Black Hole soundtrack. Uh, this was the animation studio that they did everything up until Little Mermaid in. And we're like, whoa. You know, this was, they recorded every voice actor here up until Little Mermaid. So, you know, you think about everybody that went through, you know, yeah. th- this is where Joe Blow walked down the road. And you're like, you know, it's, it's and just that kind of thing blows my freaking mind. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's just, uh, I guess, a couple of things before we leave. You know, um, I, you know, I always loved, uh, the, the, the sequence with the Tin Man dancing and he leans very Michael Jackson where he's leaning like that or even the the slapstickness of the Scarecrow dancing around his thing. Uh, I remember we were talking prior to this uh, us recording, there was the MGM ride in Florida that you um, you go to MGM Studios and they had like a, the I guess, is that, I, wonder, I don't know if it's still there. It's called Hollywood Studios now, but they had the Chinese theater had a like a Hollywood movie tour ride that you go through and it was pretty cool because the entire thing was animatronic. So you have like, you know, they had Public Enemy, James Cagney. They had all these different things you'd go to on the on the little tram. And you get to a Wizard of Oz sequence, and it was the Munchkin Land. And I remember, you know, you meet Dorothy and all that. And then up to your right, she would come flying out the Wizard of the Wicked Witch. And it was like the most technically advanced animatronic puppet to date that they used in, you know, the, if you see a featurette of this ride. And that was how iconic it was for that. Um uh, yeah, it's just a huge, huge movie at the time, the the, the Wizard of Oz. It's just, uh, you know, in your viewing of this, watching it now, do you think, is it a coincidence that Frank Morgan as the as Oz, is he, is the wizard actually intentionally playing all those people, you know, in makeup? Yeah, that's a good question. Or is it just, you know, is it supposed to be like the, you know, the, the audience, you know, because at some point, you know, remember when he starts crying to let because she's talking. We're never gonna get back to Kansas, and he's like, "Okay, I'll let you in." Like, is it him playing? You know, you know, I, I, I was this performance around. I was wondering since he's fooled everybody, is it that he is? Um, you know, is he actually playing? You know, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a know, good question. It just it dawned on me watching this 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 time this version around if it was him doing it or if it was you know. I can see it. I'm gonna go with that. Yeah, that's gonna be my yeah <laughs> my verdict my uh, decision. <laughs> final answer. Uh, I also remember the trees being very scary. That must be mm-hmm. a vegetarian or vegan's worst nightmare where the fucking trees come alive. Like, how oh, would you like it? You know that, that they would frighten the shit out of me when little when they were throwing the apples. Yeah. And then you remember the controversy in the '80s, right along with um. You had Leonard Nimoy directing Three Men and a Little Baby, and people used to think they'd see a ghost on set. Yeah. Right around that time now is this where you like think you, in the you background, could you could see a, a little person kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, someone hang themselves. And it was supposed to really be that in the land where the Tin Man was, the woodsman, they just had all these exotic birds everywhere. If you look, there's like, there's like uh, what's the, follow my nose, toucans are around. Yeah. There's storks, like I said, in, there's storks in the original book. So evidently... What it's supposed to be is when they're walking away, it's supposed to be like a stork stretching its arm, but it looks really like some, I don't know. But it's silly that you would actually think that that got in the studio cut, someone putting a ladder down, walking up the ladder, <laughs> flipping the rope and hanging himself, and nobody saw that up until... I'm going to go the, down and embrace. You know, and then no one found the body, and then it was a secret for 40 years until the 80s, but that was huge in our childhood. Yeah, yeah. That big controversy. Oh, you could see, a, you know, see a, one of the munchkins. Yeah, it was like, actors. A, like Entertainment Tonight, like Lisa Gibbons would be like, now let's look at the footage, <laughs> of, you know, of this kind of... And so I remember that was something that was really big at the time when that came out. But... um. Yeah, so you have the transition to the Disney movie into the 80s, the return to Oz, where... Um, so what is it, 46 years later? Yeah, they, they're like... Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of these you things... You know, Wizard of Oz is, you know, has gone down, even, uh, you know... <laughs> gone down! By then as being, you know, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. So it's like, why... You know, I guess that, that, that animated movie in 1972, there was that was a sequel, but... Uh, They've done a lot of. They did. They did something on TV. They did a TV sequel or something. Disney thought about um, making. I mean, it was so much so that this Wizard of Oz is on the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. is It's one of the very, very few movies that are even on that world register of how impactful it is. Disney buys the rights to all of. The, the novels in the 50s like you said to do the, yeah. the I Disney think I said 56 I think it's actually 54 I think I was getting it mixed up with, with the premiere of it on TV premiere, yeah. he buys all the the, the, the rights to the to the bombs uh, work because their the idea bomb. the bomb man the, the their idea is that they're gonna do something for their TV show and they start yeah by then you had the Sunday night weekly yeah color magical world of Disney and, and Technicolor or whatever um, they were thinking of doing something and they start doing talks that they may do something with the Musketeers but then they instead end up doing I guess uh, Babes in Toyland instead and they have the you know, what is that Funicelli um, Annette Funicello yeah and what's his face Frankie Avalon maybe I don't think he was one of that was I think they teamed up later oh in the beach bikini bingo movies yeah, in yeah. the beach okay well she she's in but that but she was a Mouseketeer and you have reprise role Roy Bolger who played the Scarecrow in the 39 movie he plays in Babes in Toyland he plays like the the toy man maybe the toy He's in that. So Disney doesn't do it, but they have the rights, so they can technically do whatever the hell they want. And they in the, in the 70s, you know, they're thinking about what to do. I brought up the 1980 cartoon uh, Thanksgiving special. So it's in the zeitgeist. So around 1980, uh, you know, people are sitting around in the Disney offices having, I guess, what they call nowadays a, uh, like a, like a... Which is just because, I, I guess, so Disney... 
what did they sell the rights to it for that special? Because there are other specials. Because like you said, 60, we have the Shirley Temple thing. In the 70s, there's a, a television special that's a live Maybe they don't stage. have... No, you know, they. it could be also... It, it doesn't become public domain until like 1985, his work, right? So maybe you're able to still... May well, until after this, because one of the reasons why Disney wants to do something is because they... They own the rights and they're about to lose the rights. So maybe I think he becomes public donated in eighty five, but maybe since MGM bought Wizard of Oz, the wonderful world of Oz, maybe you're still able to option that from MGM, but then they bought the rest of his the thirteen other sequels. You know yeah, how that you know what I mean? But like the nineteen eighty special that you grew up with, that has Everything that, that's it. not based on the wonderful world of Oz. That's b- based on the sequels. Yeah, so well, I'm confused. True. Yeah, so for I don't some, know how it works. Yeah, evidently Disney had from the 50s. They had the rights to do any do something, and they could but do there something. Were all the all these other other like, lesser, television yeah. adaptations. So I wonder how that. And then there was also which I never watched, but in the 80s, you remember there was like a cartoon show, which is kind of the same animation as the special I knew in, in the 1980. But there was like a cartoon. It looked foreign to me, like they did it. You know, it wasn't American yeah. done, but it was like a the reoccurring adventures of, of Dorothy and Gale and the Wizard of Oz or whatever. Um, anyway. But anyway, so turning the books to page fifty-seven and forty-three. Uh, <laughs> anybody need to go to the bathroom? Go to the bathroom now. We'll, we'll take a break a minute. So uh, you know, have a smoke. <laughs> anybody go stretch your legs? Check on their kids. Uh, see if everyone's all right. Get another beer out of the out of the fridge. We'll wait. <laughs> You gonna eat that? <laughs> well, I gotta return that to the library. <laughs> okay, everybody, back. Awesome. So let's start up again. Everything like that. So we get to the um, to the eighties, and we're uh, as we do. We're in the eighties, and they're having a script meeting, or I guess a brain. Like I would love to be invited to Disney to do a brainstorming meeting. You know how. You know, we could set ourselves up for life if we had a, a brainstorming meeting at Disney, you know, because Blake and I are ideas guys. <laughs> we can come up with so an idea. So many ideas. So, and and th- we have so many ideas that when it ends up happening. Yeah, I'm not going to go into uh, specifics, but I recently found out that there is a <laughs> podcast that I originally had an idea for, I believe even before this podcast was uh, this, on. This podcast the that one you're thinking I'm, of. That I'm thinking of. I believe I even brought it up on our show Several years ago, uh, but apparently this, there's a podcast. Do you think that they listen to our podcast? And then no, I don't think they s- directly stole our idea. But oh, you know, apparently it's a very popular podcast, and I had the idea first. And you're like, first. what the hell? Um, we, we have lists so miles much. long of ideas that of Dion and I came up with that then got turned into movies. <laughs> and for years, we used to always say that they they have us bugged, but it's probably just that it's such good ideas. Such good, somebody else is having the same idea. Yeah, ideas. and it's going to come up one, one, at one point or another. Uh, before we hit re- Return to Oz, remember in the late 90s, for us, high school, I remember the big thing was also the um, Dark Side of the Moon. That oh, album, yeah. remember that huge? There was a huge thing you where sunk up on the third. Yeah, roar yeah exactly. Of the it was lion, yeah, and you hit play on Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon." It would sink, sink perfectly, up. and it was on purpose, and all this. I mean, and, and there's evidently there's 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 this whole conjecture of like, no, no you're supposed to do it on the lion. Cu- I always heard the third roar, but people are saying some 
prefer the second or the first roar. Others suggest the album doesn't start until, you know, you see the after the, the line fades away to black. So suddenly, for some reason, when we were in high school, near like our junior and senior year, which was like 96, 97, this became in vogue yeah, that everybody was some like... some guy was got stoned hot. off yeah, his, stone his balls <laughs> and said, bro! I was listening to Pink Floyd. Yeah. And then, <laughs> this thing's up perfectly! <laughs> Wizard of Oz yeah. was coming on. He's like, oh, holy <laughs> shit. I'm the only one who... <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> and he called everybody. He called all his friends. So this became this huge thing. So everybody was doing it. I remember... And they're like, it's true because when they toured with Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd would use clips from the movie. So of course, it's tour. on purpose so for a while everybody was do- I went over to my friend's house and they got a tape and they all shroomed I didn't but I remember they ch- third roar and I remember st- I was at my friend's the only time I was ever at the house in his basement we turned it on and, and it surprisingly goes pretty good like when she falls off the when she's walking on the pig pen and she falls into the pig pen or when the storm hits and then they're up in the tornado and then when the door opens to color it all really works but yeah. um, what's his face Alan Parsons is that his name? The yeah, the, their their audio engineer is like, bro, you know, if you do that with anything, it's gonna sink. Yeah. You know? And then he also Your talks mind about looks for connections. And he talks about like, you know, if you're in the audio world, you know about sync drift. And we've always talked about this on this show because I used to tape things off the TV if I taped the movie. And then I would put it next to me, and I hit. My idea was like I I hit play, and I'd have surround sound. But then within twenty seconds, the cassette tape is going to drift from your TV because they're not in sync because they don't yeah. have that magic crystal, which we've <laughs> talked about before. The magic. Which we crystal. still don't know how it works. Yeah, but it's the crystal <laughs> sync. It's from the um, Skeletor and Masters of the Universe. It's some sort of crystal. It's like some dark crystal. You know. So. Uh, you know, there's there is sync drift, but people I didn't know there's this whole wormhole people go down on where there's actually other um, there's there's other things you can do. People take my personal favorite album, uh, Pink Floyd, which is uh, metal. There's the song Echoes from that 1971. Evidently, you can cue that up to the end of 2001 Space Odyssey, and that fits perfectly for the whole back half after Hal. Yeah. So I got to go do that. We should do that after we do this if we're All still right. up. And then also they do um, Wally. If you take Wally and you put on um, some other thing. Oh, oh, oh uh, what's the name of the, the wall? Pink Floyd's The Wall. Is that the album? Mm-hmm. That works there. And then even people say if you do Alice in Wonderland, the Disney movie, that works too. And then now recently Vertigo. Hitchcock's Vertigo. If you take Ghost, Ghost Rhythm's third album, um, uh, Madeline. You take that up, you can watch Vertigo. So we should watch Hitchcock's Vertigo after this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are digging up some, yeah, some, nostalgia. some deep cuts. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought we should, uh, and I know we, we need to get to Return to Oz, but I thought that yeah, was something. Yeah, worth mentioning. Yeah, sure. that, that, that was, was a, a huge phenomenon. If, if there's people younger than us who are listening to this and never heard of that, go, we, go back, grab your Wizard of Oz, grab your Dark Side of the Moon Pink Floyd album, click it. We both recommend the third roar. <laughs> see what you see. <laughs> see what you see. You know, uh, and if you want to get into the Sleep deep cut, movies, yeah, present. We should do that. <laughs> Presents, the, you know. So, um, return to Oz. <laughs> Good night, everybody. The return to Oz. They're back. Now, apparently, apparently rumor has it. Rumor has it. Rumor has it that Walter Murch, yes, is in a meeting with the head of. <laughs> well, this is what I was alluding to. It's like they're in a. They're in a, what is it, a development meeting, a script development meeting, and then they're like, and then Disney's like, Walter Murch, what would you like to see? Yeah, well, it's also interesting because this is the only movie Walter Murch had ever direct, has, has to he's, this day, ever directed. He's an esteemed editor. He was, uh, worked in sound. 
Yeah. Um, and then became an editor and, you know, edited such things. He was a, he was a, he was a, uh, contemporary of George Lucas and, and Francis Coppola and was in and all that zoetrope stuff. Yes. And Spielberg. And so he, he edited the conversation and apocalypse now and he, and he worked on <laughs> THX 1138 or whatever that wow. the number is. Yeah. There. And so he was all in, in and all that stuff and has been nominated for a million editing awards. So he's a top notch film editor. There's also, there's a great documentary about, Film editing, yeah, that might be on. Oh yeah, I remember that. It's on a bonus feature, right? As, as, as maybe um, on bu- maybe on Bullet. Yeah, that might be the Blu-ray of Bullet. I think does have that sound editing because of the because of the car chase scene. But he's one of the featured editors that they interview. Yeah, in that documentary. So Walter Murch is having a meeting. I mean, I guess they say that Lucas and Coppola were really uh, backed him to try to you know, talk him up for studios to consider letting him direct something. Yeah. And uh, so Disney asks him, hey, so like if you... He's you in know. a brainstorming session, and it's, which is like Blake and I said, like, what the fuck? How do you get one of these? But they're like, Walter Murch. And he's like, what, Disney? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's that, Mr. Disney? I know you're not alive anymore. Mr. Disney's. And they're like, what would you like to see? And then he's like, uh, well, you know what? I'd like to see another Oz tour. And they go, Funny you say that, Walter Murch. And they go, why, Mr. Disney? He goes, because they opened the filing cabinet. Because we own the rights to the Disney stuff. <laughs> and as, you can, about to- as you can see in this drawer. <laughs> Playing. There it is, Walter Murch. And then he's like, and they're like, and we're about to lose the rights because it's about to revert in the next five years because we haven't done We should just do it. <laughs> Also, we need to start doing a video uh, compa- com- component to it because oh, the YouTube you, stuff. you missed Dion's gestures. Yeah. Of, <laughs> of, of the opening, the, of opening the cabinet the drawer, drawer, the drawer. And, 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 and <laughs> presenting them like... Uh, Behold. <laughs> all their heavenly glory. Like a, like, a, like a spokesmodel on a game show. Yeah, I'm Vanna White in this shit right <laughs> here. So... Uh, they're like, oh, that's a good idea. You know, what, what, what would you be? He's like, well, I just saw a, a Thanksgiving TV special my kid was watching. A couple years night. ago. Uh, yeah. So, um, and, the, you know, their idea is, now this is where it gets a little interesting, where they don't want it to be a direct sequel. Because they don't. They don't have any ownership of the <laughs> movie. Well, there was a different <laughs> studio. Ixnay on the studio, <laughs> eh? <laughs> We're getting a little punch drunk. But they're like, why don't we take the the second and third books, The Marvelous Land of Oz and the and Ozma, the Ozma of Oz, which is 1904, 1907. And that's where you, like we said, we get TikTok, you get um, uh, some other, well, TikTok shows up in TikTok of Oz in 1914. But they they take the idea and concepts and stuff. And it's hard because, like I said, I don't know anybody. Yeah, they just take elements. They don't directly do one of the stories. No, but they, but they do, do like enough a very sequences where the Gnome yeah. King is taking like people. They, they're taking, taking the situations. Cherry, cherry picking some, Sequ- yeah. some, some of the best parts. And, the, and, you know, and it's hard because I don't know anybody. You know, nowadays I can talk to people who read all the Harry Potter series. So maybe back in the early 20th century, you know everybody who read the entire I imagine, canon. I would imagine so. Maybe yeah. we, we should have represented it that way that, that that could have he could have been the J.K. Rowling of his day, where that kids were you know these were flying off the shelves. Kids were reading the fourteen novels. Plus, he did a bunch of other novels too. I don't think all of them fantasy. But you get to 1980. Of course, everybody knows the 1939 movie, and then we're talking about the different incantations or carnations on 
you know, shitty cartoons or whatever, but, uh, you know, with Paul Lynn and, you know, <laughs> Frank Nelson, yes, oh, it's you again. You know, so I think that's one of the hiccups here is that, that people don't really know, you know, certainly I didn't know. I thought this was all invention out of somebody's head. I didn't know it was from the book. So a lot of the shit is like Jack the pumpkin head is frightening to me. Yeah. He's calling like, mom, is that you? That's like frightening. You know, <laughs> we're going to get into, can I call you mom? Even though you're not so, <laughs> Yeah, I say it to Blake, you call you mom. So it's like a lot of, you're going to get into a lot of like frightening, you know, aspects for me in this where it's like, there's just interesting things that, um, that people just, I don't think it hurt it because people didn't know the association with the original stories yeah, you yeah. know because they were Cause trying it, to because it really is, it's a it's a it's a it's an odd sequel um Fa- faithful and true but odd uh because it's it's not really a sequel to the 1939 movie but it is. I mean, but it, but it is. I mean, it's not an official sequel. It's kind of. But a, it is. <laughs> it, it's a very strange thing because then they end up having to pay MGM to use the ruby slippers because you can't just scrub away. You can't just say like, "Oh, they're silver." They shit. were duh. They were silver in the books, <laughs> idiot. They're like, "All right, kids are gonna get really fucking confused." Yeah. Not like not only do we not have the lion <laughs> or the Tin Man because they were supposed to. This is another. Other thing, uh, the elephant in the room here is, which we've talked about again at nauseum on the um, Flight of the Navigator podcast, which was Disney. Not so much the black hole, but again on the 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 the, the to T and, and the, the beast. beast. Tale is old as Is that they were going through in the eighties? We talk about the cartoon division, but Disney goes to this huger, huge like. Uh, management shakeup. So in the middle of when they're making this movie, they change management. So they kind of cut the budget for this. So there's sequences you where they were going to do stuff with the Tin Man or Scarecrow that yeah. they have to leave you on the floor. Hear, like they shoot themselves in the foot. The, the, the movies that are in development or production when management changes at a studio always get, hurt always the, get screwed. Yeah, <laughs> get hurt the most. Because the problem is you have the, the, the person Leaving is the one that championed the project. Yeah, and then that's like the bastard, redheaded bastard stepchild. When and they come so in. then you get, yeah, because then you get the new people coming in, and they don't want the old person's project to do well. Yeah, but what you think they would because it's money. I understand that they don't. Yeah, because it makes an them ego look bad. thing. But it's like, well, or it's just like, or that wasn't their project to originate, so they just don't have the passion for yeah. it that somebody that they replaced might have, which is sad. Yeah. So that's end up ultimately hurting this where they don't they cut the budget a little bit so you don't have like, you know, the Tin Man really, the Tin Woodsman, or you don't have this the scarecrow's in it a little bit, but the scarecrow's face was supposed to be fully articulated and they didn't have time for that. And that always scared me too, because the scarecrow really doesn't talk. He just yeah. like hey. <laughs> 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 I mean he his Thanks. face changes. Smiley face. Yeah. So um I mean the movie starts off where it's what is it, like six months? from the the twister you know yeah it's not too long i mean because like the house that they're building to replace the house that disappeared yeah and it's halfway done it's not complete yet now i read the novelization uh for this by the novelization was uh the author was joan d vinge v-i-n-g-e and evidently she is a huge sci-fi and fantasy author she did her own stuff 
um, that I guess is pretty well known, but also she on the side does novelizations and she did a crap more load of novelizations, which I can't cite right now, but she did more. She's done a lot. Of, one yeah. she <laughs> I want to do, you know what I want to do? I, if you ever do Disney uh, return to Oz, I want to do it. Well, we're doing it. Joan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yours, but she's, she's done a bunch of other stuff and she's done a bunch of other novelizations. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's we, we, talking about that there. We have Uncle Henry. You know, he broke his leg. Maybe it's supposed to be from maybe from the tornado. I don't. I think so. Okay, because they don't talk about it in the novelization. They don't say why, but in the movie, Dorothy's like because the because Piper Laurie's character uh, and M is complaining. Yeah, like this motherfucker well, doesn't get off his ass, and she's and Dorothy's like because his legs broke. He's like, oh, that shit's healed. That shit mended <laughs> long time ago. That mother mended. <laughs> Uh, oh, I know that that shit mended. Well, because what happened is it's played by this great actor, Mark Clark, uh, Matt Clark, who you've seen a ton Clark. of Eastwood. Clark, watch him. Clark. Watch Clark. Uh, he's in a, t- a bunch of Eastwood movies in the 70s, and he's also like in a lot of episodic TV, Matt Clark. But I think, you know, they're not, Dorothy is not their kid. But, you know, they, they of course, have, have opened their arms to her and trying to help raise her. And in the original book, the bomb book, they talk about, Dorothy talks about how beautiful Anem used to be. But this hard life has really weathered her. She doesn't smile anymore. Henry is now, you know, he's, he's gone. He's He just works all day. So I think in this the illusion in the novelization is that like he's kind of like what the fuck what the hell you know what am I going to do here where he's kind of lost the passion where he's halfway building the house he has no energy to do it she's talking the the kid's talking about going to a world she sees in her dreams he doesn't know what to do you know he's lost the farm hands because they lost all those crops that year because of when the when the heart they couldn't so they lost all that money coming in and then they talk about in the movie they had to put a second mortgage out on the house to make a new house so they didn't have even money to 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 pay the first mortgage so they're up to their eyeballs in debt so i think he's 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 a little down on himself you know he's feeling a little sorry for himself this is what you know like we all are what are we going to do how are we going to get out of this debt the situation we're in and this he's is over, he's overwhelmed. Yeah, and this is the reason why you know he just walks around doesn't really do a lot. And this is the reason why they're looking for anything. And then you see in the in the paper they see that electric healing because this takes place 1899. This movie takes place. So, like we said, electricity is right on the verge of coming to be. So their idea is to take her into town and to maybe see if she can get help with like the, the Sigmund Freud esque kind of uh, because she she's having trouble sleeping. Because she's still seeing, she's talking about all she's this. All fucking psyched up. Yeah, and the only person that can <laughs> Toto spend some time in Oz. Yeah, and Toto can't help her because she lost. Uh, as with the book, she loses the slippers in flight, uh, and they fell off. And then that's how what's his face gets them because they fell off while she was leaving Oz. The Gnome King. Yeah, but I think in the book, I'm sorry, I think in the 39 movie they disintegrate or whatever. But that was another thing. We forgot to say in the 39 movie was that they were going to have a reveal at the very end of the movie. They're all going to look down and she's going to be wearing the slippers. She's like, oops, see, it was real. <laughs> kind of like the, um, it's kind of like the uh, terror at 20,000 feet where it's like, you know, that there's actual scars from the gremlin on the plane. Yeah. You know, the revelation. And then there was going to be another thing where. It wasn't real. Or was, was it? it? <laughs> <laughs> she's got the. The other thing was they were going to develop a relationship, like a romantic thing between her and the scarecrow. Because remember, when she's leaving, she says, "I'm going to miss you most, scarecrow," and they like kiss. And then when they get back, that farmhand was going to be like, you know, going to go to agricultural school, and he was. They were going to start love letters, but they're like, "She's she's a kid. 
just like that. Yeah, what, what <laughs> I know we marry young in his era, but come on. It's a little too young. That's what Jesus Christ. Here. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's lost all his farming, all this kind of a thing, and they don't have the heat. She has no evidence about this thing. But then the next morning, remember, she saw the falling star, and she finds the oh, key. Yeah. And Belinda, she's out there trying to, because Belinda won't hatch. Won't lay an egg. Goddamn, Belinda, you better lay a egg or, or you're gonna be go on the freaking menu yeah so this is the dilemma where you know uh and then they're like we're gonna bring her to town they don't have the money to bring her to town and they're like they're gonna have to borrow the money and they're like well but still it's a charity it's a handout they don't want to borrow the money to get her you know ect yeah yeah and then this is something else i didn't realize when i was little what was actually going to happen that they're going to give her electro electric convulsive shock therapy you know they want to actually initiate a grand mal seizure so that you can reset the brain uh, could have been worse they could have been <laughs> lobotomized yeah we could they could have been given her <laughs> get the hammer yeah, get the, the old ice pick <laughs> the old uh, what is it transorbital lobotomy where they used to say they take an ice pick and they go into your optical uh, they go right up above your eye okay next there's a great any side conversation. Go watch the documentary, The Lobotomist. I think it's called. Yeah, fascinating. PBS, PBS Frontline about this guy this in the 50s. doing it two, you know, each one in each two at a time. <laughs> you know, the, the Kennedys, Joe Kennedy, uh, JFK, and RFK's their their sister who had severe, I think, retardation or autism. They they lobotomized this guy. Lobotomized her. But in the 50s, when they didn't know what to do with people, he traveled the country and he was like, "Line up, everyone you're having problems with at the asylums." And he yeah. go next. It is nuts. You know. And then I they realized. I would love to make a movie about that guy. Yeah, because he thought he was doing the Lord's work. He wasn't doing it out of any enough. He wasn't like an evil. Thought, yeah. You know, he thought he was. This is working. You know, just you just go up and punch a little bit right above. You know, in that full front, in the frontal lobe, and you'll. It does wonders. <laughs> you know. So back then, when they're still learning about medicine, the idea was, you know, just you know, give ECT, give shock therapy, which they outlawed in the '60s. I feel like, but I feel like now people are they brought it back, and it's all in a. You, you can elect to do it because the idea behind it is that since you're 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 having you're creating a grandma seizure it's like you're re, it's like you're turning the computer on and off you're resetting yeah. your computer and that's what's going to help you because the brain is just a bunch of electrical currents and i guess the thought process or the theory or maybe the fact is that some of the the electronic electric pulses going on in the brain can get off sync. Yeah, <laughs> this will and this will this will help it. Yeah, you know. So they're gonna bring. So they bring her into town, and it's it's interesting. She, you know, they leave Toto, and you know, Nanette's sad where she doesn't want to leave Toto, but it's more like Harry and Anderson's. We don't want you to stay. <laughs> you know, it's that idea where yeah, yeah. she's yelling. Yeah, she's yelling. I said go. Throwing a rock at Toto. We don't like you. But like you know, she has to keep Toto. But she, but no, she doesn't bring Belinda. But she, she. They go to town, and, and this is another thing in the novelization that they don't really so much touch on in the movie. But in the movie, in the novelization, they're, remember, you hear Uncle Henry saying, like, you know, see you tonight, get home before dark. They have no realization that they're going to have to leave her there. Yeah. So when they go for that little orientation, and they're like, what are you talking about? Of course she's going to have to stay overnight. They're really taken aback, and this is the, and they allude to Piper Lurie's like, she's never been out of my sight. So there is like this, like, well, we have to get back tonight. She needs to help. And they're like, you know, maybe she can be released tomorrow, but she's going to have to stay the night. So that's very frightening to them. Yeah. But that's kind of glanced upon in the in the movie where she's like, they, you know, it's very quickly. Can she keep the lunch pail? And they're like, she's not going to need it. But it's like, we packed her a lunch. And, and that was very important for Dorothy. Like, this is part still part of her home. And, 
you know, this is my mom made this or my aunt. I want to keep this. And then, you know, as soon as they leave, they just throw that in the trash, you know. Yeah, just put it around. Yeah, yeah. We don't need that anymore. And um, another thing that they do, a concept in this movie, which I think is, you know, I hadn't seen Return to Oz in probably 30 years or at least. So um, I remembered with the nurse being uh, Moby, but I never, I like the idea of them taking, recycling the actors so you yeah. have the gurney attendant, Pons Mar, who's this really brilliant guy who becomes one of the wheelers. He is the orderly, you know, and then, or uh, the other gentleman who plays the doctor from, he's Merlin from Excalibur. He is then the Gnome King, uh, the nurse, yeah. who's very scary. She's hot in a very scary way. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I, I think she's kind of hot. She's, oh, she's like, to me, she's like the evil, evil, I always, uh, it's Cinderella, I always thought the mother looks really hot. Yeah. The evil, but she's scary in a, in a evil Victorian way. Now, uh, I would ass- I would have assumed that you would know this, but since you haven't, you didn't bring it up in, in relation to this Nurse Wilson. She's been on the show before. Uh, she's, a, she's a sleepover movie alumni. Uh, what has she been in? What has she been in? What has she been in? What has she Willow. been in? Willow. Willow. Oh, she's the queen in Willow. You're right. She, that, yeah. Bavmorda. Yeah, she is, isn't she? Wow. She was also in Frenzy. Okay. And uh, I can't. I can't. Who's she in Frenzy? I don't know. I can't. It's been so long since I've seen Frenzy or The Changeling, but do, apparently do she's in both of those movies. I wonder if she's one of the people she, he, he uh, you know, he kills. Yeah. You know. But uh, maybe most recently she gets for us, she was in Willow. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe she gets naked. Um, oh, and, and of course, the doctor that you're talking about. Uh, what's his face? Nickel uh, Williamson. Yeah, he, he's like a, you said. You, he played Merlin in the 1981 film the Excalibur, John but he Borsman. also played the priest that gets fucked up in Exorcist Three. Oh, is that him? Yeah, with like a. Yeah. He looks very different. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't yeah. look like. Uh, yeah, you know. and I'm trying to think of who she is in 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 the Changeling, not the Clint Eastwood and Angel Lee movie, the George C. Scott movie. Yeah, I wonder if she is an in old, the old favorite. Oh, favorite of you and Oz, which we'll probably do on this cast when we do our George C. Scott uh, retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> we go through the George C. Scott movies that we want people to see, uh, like Anatomy for a Murder, The Hustler, Rage, and. Um, What's the other one that we like? Firestarter. Firestarter. And right. Dr. Strangelove. Oh, God bless you. Hardcore. Hardcore is great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I, I wonder if she's in the flashbacks or if she's his wife at the beginning. Yeah, I don't know. You know? It's been so long since. And also, it's hard to think of her in that contemporary because yeah. she's in that outfit. She looks like she's a Victorian. But um, Furza Balk, this is her first. Uh, she did a TV movie prior to this, but this is her first proper. And she's been on the show before. Yeah. What has she been? Can you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we just did the uh, craft with her, and who knew we would have gotten to two Fruits of Balk movies? Uh, all we need to do now is things to do in Denver with your dead. And I've, I was talking about in the craft movie how I have such a uh, uh, a. Um, a crush on her and but now uh, that seems awkward it doesn't though for me because it seems <laughs> weird because it's like it's like watching Alyssa Milano I used to think she was so hot back in Commando because you're that age yeah you know but then now you're right it's awkward when you're like she's so hot but she's 10 you know it's like yeah, that's not right which reminds I don't want to go back too, too much far. to Wizard of Oz but I that you it. reminded me of when I was little 
Yeah. I thought Judy Garland was like the most beautiful thing I had ever seen when I would watch. Sure. <laughs> when I would you know, watch Wizard of Oz as a little kid. It's funny kid. because they wore they had her wear like a, a corset because she you know, she's seventeen. She's grown. Developing. She's a yeah, she's an adult. So they gotta hide all that. And I remember she had a great frame, you know, and it's it's a sad did they ever? There was a movie that just was just coming out on her. Remember? There's Did, one coming out. Yeah, I saw a poster for it the other day at the movie. Okay, so it hasn't come out yet of this With recording. Yeah, because she, I saw a still for like a couple months ago, and she looks like startlingly scary as like she looks so much like her, like yeah. you know. But she but has there was such also a. a yeah, they Television did a TV movie a couple movie. years ago. Yeah, but it's such a sad because she was one of the children. The child actors, where it's like, like we're, we were just talking about that studio grind. You know, she's she's up for eighteen hours a day, so she they'd give her tablets to go to bed. They'd give her tablets to wake up. You know, so she, you know, she need. Before you know it, it's it's like what's her face from um uh from ET. Oh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, or it's like you know it's the, or Gary Coleman, the, the the child actors who have the the parents that were I don't know of her necessarily garland's parents were being malicious but they were you know feeding her tablets to wake up and tablets to go to bed uppers and downers she starts you know drinking a very young age and then you know she was with mickey rooney for a bit but she has this sad life where certainly i mean she died at a very young age uh i think it resulting from alcoholism but if you listen to some of those recordings it's sad when she when she's singing yeah, because she's drunk and she's forgetting the lyrics to some of these songs, or because like her mainstays, she would always if you went to see her live, she would have to do "Over the Rainbow" at some point. But it's kind of like Sinatra in the end days, where it's like. But I always know, thought of Alyssa Milano as being like my first crush. But it's actually like Judy if you Garland. asked my mom like who was Blake's first crush, which we talked about, my mom would be like the girl from Who's the Boss. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, Watching it this time, I was like, "Yeah, I remember like watching it as like pretty little." And yeah, just thinking she was so pretty. Yeah, that's how when I like I was saying with Rebel Without a Cause when I saw Natalie Wood, I was like, "She's so pretty to me," but it was because she to me looks so much like Judy Garland from Wizard of Oz. You know. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, track. So Feruza Balk. It's her first movie. She's. I think she's great in this. I think she does a really, really good job because again, you need to have a really believable. Uh, actress playing the part and i think she's such she's so good-hearted you know which she's like when tiktok's like sorry and she's like it can't be helped tiktok or you know or can i call you mom and she said you know it's like it's su- she's such a nice person yeah you know uh and it and it really you know uh it shows in, in, in how she's doing this um again this is pre-cgi so we, we're, we're getting into our, our old land where you have, I guess, uh, Brian Henson and the Henson, the brothers Henson, I was say the Henson <laughs> brothers, Henson brothers. The Hensons are coming in there. The Hensons are doing all this. I mean, when Belinda starts talking, you have, you have this big storm where they're about to give her EC tree. That's all scary too. I mean, this is Disney, you know, again, scaring the crap out of you because once M leaves. <laughs> Disney. Scaring the crap out of since you for ni- generations. Since 1929. <laughs> one, one, Scarring children. One kid at a time. <laughs> since 1929. But it's like, uh, as soon as the, the on end leaves and they bring her upstairs, it's fright. They're in an asylum. They're in a, well, in a Victorian it asylum. Is, it's a, it's a, it suddenly turns into the ring. It is a, it's, an, it's a mental asylum. Yeah, yeah, you hear people screaming in the background. Like, and what know, is that? Oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. And for me, the era, like it's shot on, it's very much like a Disney 80s, Disney TV movie or like a BBC. Yeah. Because when they're outside, it, it's kind of like, uh, it's foggy. You know, it's got like a, it's kind of like a, 
what do you call that? Gray out, I it's guess. A little gothic. It's like over. Or it's overcast. Yeah. So you have a very much like it's not so much a western. It could almost be when they're going through that first town, which well, is like I never passed Franklin before. Yeah. It's you know? a lot like the Woman in Black. Yes, the original or yeah. even the remake or, or even the Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, but the original that, one that feeling. Yeah, yeah where it uh, they shot on that island. Uh, yeah, exactly. But it has that feel of that eighties to me, like the masterpiece at BBC. Yeah. You know, but. Very quickly, they're she, you know they're about th- she's in an asylum, and then we have uh, what's her face showing up, uh, uh, Ozma, you know the, the girl. Now this gets into the t- right here. This is like uh, the idea or the argument from the Stanley Kubrick The Shining movie. You have Jack Nicholson seeing the ghosts. He starts seeing Lloyd. He's talking to Lloyd. And then then she- Shelley Duvall knocks out Jack Nicholson, drags him into the walk, and locks him in. And at some point, the, the 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 ghosts are like, you know, you're fucking up, Jack. You know, he's like, yeah, just yeah. let me out. And we're led to believe, is it the ghosts letting Jack out? Does Jack have the shining and he's letting himself out? Who knows? But at some point, somebody lets Jack out. Here, same thing, where it's like, is 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 it all in Dorothy's head? Or is somebody there actually untying, you know, getting her off the gurney, you know what I mean? Taking off the mm-hmm. shit off of her. It's that kind of a... You know, I don't know. I guess it's up to interpretation. Yeah, but it's a. This is an interesting movie in that way. I feel like. I mean, <clears throat> thematically, one could argue that this movie is about um, courage. Well, it's about because you know it's it's keeps on pre- it keeps on uh, um, uh, making a point to be like this is. 1899 and then in a few months it's going to be 1900 yeah. and the future's coming everything that we were kind of talking about at the beginning of the, of the show um also because it's also the time period where Baum would be have been writing the book yeah yeah right around here but this advancement of technology and 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 thematically the movie is kind of saying that this advancement of technology, which is very prophetic, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. if, if looking at the way things are today, the advancement of technology is coming to crush creativity and the imagination. He, like the doctor wants to use electricity, this this thing that he this virgining technology, yeah, yeah, which will be to everywhere base, to basically stamp out any creativity yeah. and imagination that this little girl. <clears throat> might have <laughs> but that's a theme too from the original movie you look at the original movie at the beginning when uh when judy garland's walking around the farm like nobody has time for her you know yeah. she she goes to the aunt m they're they're picking eggs dorothy get the fuck away you know we're trying to figure out she goes to the farm hands they're doing stuff and you know and this movie too when she at the beginning is trying to tell people it really happened they don't really listen gary you know you're 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 you're, you know, get away from me, kids. You're bothering me. We have too much to do. Yeah. And then when it becomes too much of a problem, where she's talking about it all the goddamn time. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We, we're going to have to silence her. You know, we can't beat her into submission. So we're going to go shock the shit out of her. You know. So now they're, you know, and even when she gets there, she's telling them like the story of like, and then she has. I mean, it's this delusions where it's like, is, is it a psychosis? It's something you can write a paper on how intricate you can get dr silverman from terminator one and two to come and write a paper <laughs> on you know time displacement equipment. Now there's also a theory. <clears throat> Which I, I think that is an, an, an interesting, like, thematic seek, uh, uh, hypothesis. Uh, What's that? To, to, to say, you know, um, the idea of, te- of technology oh. uh, kind of being used to stamp out the imagination. Um, 
but the there's also a theory that she was given shock oh i know yeah yeah exactly and that's what sent her to oz and then that's what started this potentially uh uh, theoretically this like lucid dream well, of being sent back to Oz and then when you see they the, the people that have this theory uh, point to when she wakes up well when she's in um, when her friends they're pick, trying to find the scarecrow and then there's like a flash of lightning when they become there's like an electronic electric surge when they get turned into an object oh yeah okay that that's the treatment oh given it results well it's it, that's also too where when they did the 39 movie, because in the book, she's taken up in the house and she's completely lucid in that, uh, you know, uh, and she almost loses Toto and she has to hold on to his ear, I think it is, until they land. She never knocks herself out. Like the, the, the window doesn't whack her in the face. I think it was in the, 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 the producers or the studio heads were like, we don't think an audience will believe that she can just be taken up, put down someplace. We have to have the idea of it being a dream sequence to kind of pad out the believability that is it all in her head or is it really happening? And then she wakes up. So here, that's kind of the same thing where it's like, you know, either she's getting ECT and waking up or at some point she falls asleep. She gets into the pen and she wakes up and she's in Oz in the middle of the sand, which is going to your theme of the other week of 80s quicksand. (laughs) You know? Yeah. But But, um, uh, (laughs) it's so prophetic because it's 100 years before. (laughs) The... uh, But it's like, yeah, it's it's interesting of what is she... You know, is she waking up on the side of the the creek after getting the ECT because she's wandering like the Halloween? I don't know. They let the 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 orderly <laughs> out all night. <laughs> they don't. Michael Myers is out. You know. I, so. will, I will say though, when they lay her down and they strap her in and they put the put the things on her head, and I was thinking like, <laughs> how fuck? Why is everybody always trying to do electro shock shock therapy during a lightning storm? Yeah. Because when you look at that. That, that amazing episode of Quantum Leap. Oh, gee, shock me. <laughs> yeah, shock me. Oh, I cry. Well, I'm crying re- right now. Well, the reason why he gets, uh, he needs the electric shock. Because well, he needs to come back, yeah. But they, uh, it's also during a lightning storm, if I recall correctly. Well, it's, it's, it's mood. And also the Dario Argento movie Trauma, which also oh, yeah. stars Piper Laurie. Yeah. Uh, they're going to give her shock treatment during a lightning storm. She's also in something else. And I don't want to spoil it, but <laughs> it's too horrendous. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't have the same, the same benefit as you would think. It's like, why are they always doing it during a lightning storm? Um, too dangerous. Yeah, well, that, that's the, you know, and the other thing, too, is, is and, I, I you know, it's, I guess it's going to, like, Disney. Just the idea of him showing her, like, this face. You see the two eyes? You see the nose? You see the mouth? Don't worry. It's going to be fine. Oh, she's the... Piper Laurie is the mother in care. Oh, yeah. That's what I was looking at. Oh, she's in The Hustler. I just brought up The Hustler. Um, and they're she's in other people's you. money. Yeah, she's all going to laugh at you. So, um, they broke my thumbs. No, that's, that's not... That's fucking... Um, that's Pobo Greenwich Village. I'm getting my, my thumbs mixed up. Easy. You're getting Easy. your thumbs all mixed <laughs> yeah, up. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Get your thumbs messed up. So, um... You know, it's all very messed up. And when she gets to Oz, she wakes up. She's with Belinda's talking now. We get the animatronic. And I think that hen looks great. And it's all oh, yeah, Henson. That, that puppet is you know, great. It's fucking, you know. And then also, scary for Dion, eyes and rocks. Faces yeah. and rocks. And we get into my man who I love, Will Vinton. Will Vinton, people who are our age will know, he did all the uh, California raisins. Remember that was huge in the late 80s, all the raisins. And there was a big... They did um, a whole campaign of California Rages doing commercials for raisins and stuff, but they did a, 
a claymation Christmas celebration from like 87 or 88 where they did a huge claymation Christmas special that he pioneered with all his stuff and it's all different vignettes and sequences, one of which being the the California Raisins. But it's all very asshole-teric. Some of its stuff were, you know... Uh, asshole-teric. It's asshole-teric. <laughs> you know that word. <laughs> Come on, Blake. Uh, bake. Um, but it's very kind of... St- some of the stuff is because it's, it's two carols and stuff. So it's kind of avant-garde. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of that here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he, he animates all the rock... Yeah, waltz, and then also he animates when the gnome king is coming out at the end, you know. So, and that's another forgotten art where that would have all been CGI. You know what I mean? I almost seem elements in the faces of Jack Skellington from 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 Nightmare Before Christmas and sure. some of the smiles and stuff. You know, and they're both named Jack. So don't you see? So you know, I think Will Vinton uh, uh, he he doesn't get a lot of play here, but he. Uh, also, I think is a forgotten guy because people don't really do claymation anymore. If you think about stop motion, it's either the guys who did uh, James and the Giant Peach or that, or like Wallace and Gromit, those guys from England, yeah. you know, or even the people who do like the Boxhead Trolls now or uh, the movie I Love, Paranorman, those guys who did Caroline, Coraline, Caroline, Coraline, 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 those dudes. But I mean, Will Vinton back in the eighties was doing all that shit back then doing with Gumby you know, style. Yeah, Mr. Bill, he's doing that shit Gumby <laughs> style. Gumby's another one. So it's like he's you have him in there, and I, so I love all the claymation stuff. Well, this is you a, know, this is another one to yeah. add to the list. It's right before it's on the crisp. chronicling. Yeah, the world of of special effects and movie magic yeah. just on the cusp of the technology change. L- L- Labyrinth we did on this podcast comes out the next year. But I feel like uh, this has come some of the same things as Labyrinth. Like, you know, at the end when she's going through that that tunnel uh, and she's got the wheelers and she's trying to get there. Like, that to me looks like the Labyrinth itself. Totally. Or the Gump. When they in that that voice to me sounds like the same voice as like you know beware 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 those different faces she sees in Labyrinth could be the same yeah I people. think it's the same because it's Brian Henson in the same troupe and they're probably doing you know parts of it in England and stuff so Faruka Zal Faruka Zal she a whole bunch of people I guess end up trying out for the role and you know they say like yeah. uh, Elizabeth Hurley freaking we who we just brought up from E T. Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Uh, Liz- fucking Toby Wong. Charlie <laughs> Chan. <laughs> Everybody. Uh, and, it, you know, they whittle it down to her. They, Elizabeth Berkeley, I read. Yep, Elizabeth. Um, I also I said Elizabeth Hurley. Elizabeth Berkeley. <laughs> from Saved by the Bell. Yeah. I also heard uh, Alanis Morissette. Yep, because yeah, she was doing, I can't do that on television. She's coming off of... <laughs> I can't do Canadian that Canadian TV. Yeah. Um, but again, it's always tough. Die with these, it's all it's all hearsay. Yeah, because um, they also talked about maybe Christopher Lloyd as the Doctor, which I could see because he's doing stuff at the time. He yeah. was doing doing Back to the Future. He was doing Back to the Future. He's doing Clue. That's eighty five, and also he's about to do um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So he's he's doing, and I, feel, I mean he was pro. You think of how much stuff he's in at that era? He's in a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but I could see him doing Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. You know, this would be something he'd be completely into. He's not below doing something like this, you know, especially something that's going to be as grandiose as this. The orderlies in this for me, when they were bringing her into the South, they remind me of the two guys from Phantasm 2. 
you know, with the ball, those two, those yeah. two Undertakers, very scary for me. So we get, she gets to Oz, and all of a sudden she's in the Deadly Desert, which is another freaky thing. You touch it, you turn the. That's always like a game you play on the playground when you're little. Like, don't touch there, you're gonna fall. You know, like you yeah. know, Why you fall the slide, you know, under the rocks. I think just a couple of weeks ago on uh, on uh, Twitter, I had put out to, like to all the people who had active imaginations. All the people kids, out there who have active imaginations out there. as kids, like. Uh, <clears throat> Just remember, don't fall into the lava. Yeah, because I felt like that was always like yeah. you're on the couch and you got to jump from the couch. It's lava everywhere. <laughs> either lava or boiling acid or quicksand or uh, <laughs> the desert, <laughs> the, the deadly desert. You know, it's for me. I rem- you know we used to have a playground in the local elementary school, which was just it was all just gravel. And that was what you'd fall, you know, it was the, the it was the playground and where it would be the wooden slide and all that kind of stuff and yeah. have the big tube you can go down and the kids would piss in at night, you know, you know, and all this stuff. But then it would be all just kind of gravel that you'd fall into, which nowadays it's all rubber. It's all very <laughs> yeah, soft. Yeah, it's all like, like you know, tires. Yeah, and shit like that. And, you know, it's all very safe and soft. Back then it was, it was like it jagged. Was, it was like gl- broken glass. <laughs> broken glass. Yeah, it was broken glass and bro- Rick or, or like the wood would chip, you know, the big splinters you're getting. There's a very funny Bill Cosby skit about the playground about the you know who the hell is designing these because they want to kill kids but it's like from you know you'd fall off the thing into the gravel you get up and you'd have like rocks sticking out of your hand <laughs> you know like all grooved and bur- ah you're picking it out it's a piece of broken bottle but shrapnel for me that was always like we'd play like don't fall into the lava don't fall into the quicksand like that so that's yeah, all yeah. very our our era so she yeah she's um the, uh, this this girl she's seeing that we think it's only her gets her out of this situation then when the power goes out it's freaky because they leave and you hear all this screaming and yelling and you're like get the fuck out of there dorothy you know and she's able to get away and they run after her and they get swept away in the in the storm and it's very that sequence to me there's a movie i love one of my favorite movies called uh, night of the hunter charles lawton directed robert mitchum's in and there's a scene where he's running after these kids and they get away and and they get away right before he's able to get him in a rowboat and he goes away and, and it ends up him going out into the during a storm out into the to try to get him and it, it, the river gets too high and he screams and to me that was almost like they were paying homage to that her trying to get him and she comes within inches of like grabbing him the nurse but then they are up to, to, to go away but she wakes up and she's with Belinda and they start walking. And another thing for me is when they come to these trees with those pails, that's disgusting for me that they're able to take this pail off and open it up. And it looks like all that's grown inside and it's organic and it's just, you know, it looks like an apple and they're able to take stuff out. Oh, it's a ham sandwich. Let's have this to eat. Don't get one. Make sure, you know, fascinating that, yeah. you, that you're totally creeped out it, by the lunch yeah, pail tree. It's, it's the, it goes to back to my thing about like eyes and hands and, you know, like stuff being like alive you know to me like the you know like to think that's all alive what do you think a piece of fruit is i know but it's to me it's like it's it's weird that it's in there that like it's like it's wrapped you know sandwich it's all, you know what i mean it's all, like that's all organic like she's got like the wax paper you know what i mean yeah. and, it's, and it's like a, it's white bread i want the wheat you know uh, i've got a gluten allergy is there a- <laughs> give a gluten free yeah. let me look the blue one is gluten, you know so it's just all that weird and then so they get they find the house and it's another thing determined in the novelization that, like, you know, we don't realize in Oz how quick time goes. It's a diff- another t- concept of time because she finds her house and they're in the middle of the fucking woods. So she has a realization, like, oh my god, how long have I been gone? Because not only is Munchkin Land completely gone, yeah. but the you know, it's we're in the f- middle of a freaking forest and the and there's only like mere remnants of the Yellow Brick Road. And she hauls ass 
down the yellow brick road, and she's it looks like she's in like some sort of heel. Yeah, so took she's, her like the whole movie to get there. Last the first, time. well, she knows where she's going this time, <laughs> so she's running, and she doesn't fall once because you think with those yeah, bricks. I was, you know, yeah, I was like, watch your step, ran an ankle. Yeah, Feruza, there's a movie's all <laughs> over Feruza if you if you so, and then she sees the you know, Emerald Cities and Smithereens, and there there's no all the emeralds are gone, and she gets there, and everyone's like in stone and I remember this being freaky when you see the wheelers and the wheelers to me are, were so frightening with that laugh and what they are because again you think this is a, a creation out of the, 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 the movie maker's mind but it's not it's all yeah. uh, it's all those are also in the book those are all in the books you know and, and they're m- very much like the uh, flying monkeys where the flying monkeys are like a in the in the original book, the the witch is able to control them because she has a hat she wears and she can only summon them three times. And she, ha- you know, you have three wishes, and and then uh, at the beginning, Glinda kisses Dorothy on the forehead, and she says that'll protect you from evil. So at the point where the flying monkeys come down, they they really it, the books are a lot darker. Where they pick up the 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 Tin Man and they break them apart on rocks, they rip apart the the fucking Scarecrow and they hang half of them. When they go to get her, she's got the the kiss and they're like we can't touch her because she's protected from from by a good kiss and that triumphs over evil but anyway they're indentured servants and at the end of it she frees them because when she kills the witch she takes the she goes here you take the hat you can go do what you want they're like thank you for freeing us dorothy well that's much like the wheelers they're very much neither here nor there but they're under the control of moby she's got them under her spell where in the movie they just seem like the marauders it's very to me very post-apocalyptic very like road warrior these things you know it's scary their helmets have crazy faces on them yeah, yeah. you know they have that david patrick kelly laugh you know i mean <laughs> but it's it's great it's frightening to yeah. me you know you can hear them that you know you don't have to have that crazy satanic laugh but they do and they've got the wheels and she runs away she discovers tiktok in there to me tiktok is very much um got shades of vincent from uh the black hole the robot yeah. which is uh roddy mcdowell voices Mm-hmm. Getting into like you know the scariness of those two movies, you know, and then uh, I loved Vincent, uh, not Vincent. I loved you know uh, TikTok's great great concept when she has to wind up his uh, his thinking, wind up his action, wind up his movement, you know, and then yeah. he's he prides himself. He's like, thank goodness I'm not alive because he doesn't have to deal with the burdens of emotions and yeah, you're like, fuck that. You shit. know, he's he's Humans like are stupid. Yeah, he he is kind of. He's like, I thank the Lord that I am not alive, you know. But at the end. You know, it's, it starts to overcome him because he starts crying, you know, that kind of a thing. But he's able to get him out. They bring her to the Mo- to, to Moby, the king. And this is another thing. Disney, crazy as all hell. They walk into this castle. And, and when they walk in, you know, great attention to detail where you have, like, ev- the dust everywhere. And it's the first time they're walking through. And to me, it looked very much like the asylum hallway at first when they walk yeah. in the house. And then they go up to this part where there's all this glass. And again, to bring up the end of the... Spad, no expense. Spad everywhere. <laughs> we will spend all this money. Um, it, very reminiscent of the very end of the black hole when they go through the black hole the, where the good people, they go into this hall of mirrors. It, to me, it looked very much like this era. You, it's almost like you know the shades of the same kind of production design. Yeah. And when they meet her, she's in the middle. Was she playing like a mandolin or is she playing like a harp? And she's very like, I'm tired. Come with me. And it's so freaky. They bring her into this hall. Now her, the actress <clears throat> that plays her at that point. Yeah. She looks familiar. She looks like a model. We just talked about something she was in last episode. She's the main female. She's the female lead in Young Sherlock Holmes. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh, I knew I recognized her. Her name is Sophie Ward. 
Oh, it's good old Sophie Ward. And then she also is in a movie from the early 2000s, maybe mid-early 2000s, that was directed by John Harrison, who did the music for Creepshow and Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, he directed Tales from the Crypt, the movie, but he directed a movie nice. based on Clive Barker's Books of Blood. Called, okay. Called The Book of Blood. And she's in that. She's picking and choosing what she's in. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's been in other stuff, but those are the two movies that I've seen and really, and really like, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, because when we watched it, I was like, she I looks know so familiar to me. Yeah, to me, so she looks like a model. Hey, guess what, Deanne? I just thought of it. I was like, you've got such a good memory, Blake. Um... You know, and then you, you get these establishing these great mats again. It's the it's the era of you know I you know the, the you, you could tell they're trying to save on some of the budgeting here or there because this is another movie that's shot entirely on a soundstage except for the beginning. It looked like yeah. when they were in Kansas, and it's very. You know, um, I, I think it has to do with like that. It is so desolate, uh, but it's very. I felt the movie was like very claustrophobic. Even in Oz. Yeah, when they get to Oz, I feel that way. I mean, obviously, the, the, the asylum. Yeah. <laughs> or, or when they're stuck up in the tower. Yeah. You know. But there's some, even, you know, even stuff where they're not confined to a particularly small space, there's something about it that felt very claustrophobic. Well, even when she's in Oz and she's walking around, like, it, you know, it seems like she's almost in Victorian gardens. Yeah. You know, when she's meeting all the people who were frozen or the headless dancers, or she comes across the woodsman who's frozen in place. Mm-hmm. And again, they all look like the illustrations from the original books, which threw people off because they're like, why are you fucking with something that's good? But it's like, no, they look like, uh, you know. <laughs> no, they fucked with MGM fucked yeah, with something that was yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't know because they pulled they, they pull the old um, Kobayashi Maru on us. They all look like W.W. Denz, Denzlau's um, uh, original artwork. Uh, but then, like, I don't know. I feel like she's so underrated as a as a villain. This woman who's able to, uh, in the original book, it's because of Variety's sake she wanted to have a uh, uh, a new head every day. But the idea that this witch is um, is saving heads in their numbered cabinets, and her original head is in this locked away vault, and she, you know, the idea she's like, oh, you know, you may be pretty, one, you know, you won't be. What does she say to her? Like, you won't be beautiful. When you get older, but you'll have something that's alluring. So I'm going to lock you like into the in yeah, the thing until, until you, it's yeah, and until your head's ripened. <laughs> it's, well, yeah, it's so scary. And then the idea later on when she goes to like get the key, you don't realize it's like you hear this gargling and it's she's sleeping without the fucking head on, you know. And it's like you know, <sighs> you know, it's like oh, and then the it was so terrifying for me, like especially a kid, you're on pins and needles when she's walking, everyone's sleeping in the in the hall of heads, yeah. and she gets and then. Of course, you know, the thing moves, she gets the key, she walks, she opens the thing up because she needs the life powder, and then the other head's there. Of course, the head wakes up. Of course, you know it's going to wake up. And it starts <laughs> screaming and tries to bite her. What did she, what did she start saying? Dorothy, girl, you know, and everyone starts screaming, and, she's, and then the head gets up, and it's a headless, you know, it's a headless horseman. You know, like, yeah. It's just so frightening, and she's got to get the right head on to run up after them. And, and uh, you know, when she gets locked up, I, I love the idea where he gets... You know, he gets turned off. He's like, "Oh dear." <laughs> he's like, "He's like, I'm yeah. sorry." He's like, "You know, I ran out. My action ran out." You know, um, and then when she gets up there, she meets Jack, and Jack's very sad. You know, he's like, "You're my mom." You know, my mom. You know, mom. Uh, you know, that's all scary. He's kind of in pieces. Yeah, and she has to put him back together, and he he gives her his backstory, um, and then even 
in the novelization when when they when they put the the thing together the sofa that becomes the gump and then um the gump takes off to me i felt like it was very much of a prophetic his line like and this it's very like um uh like uh what's the name what's the right word i'm looking for like um very happy go lucky like hey like i feel like they told them to have that inflection to make it a little more likable because in the book you when you read it it's very much on the page yeah he's very much more like uh prophetic or or like he's like almost like got shell shocked he's like you know i was in the woods and i heard a big bang and now that's the last thing I remember. And like, he's like, wow, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like yeah. very much like, you know, I wish I could have a body again or like, this is crazy. Like it's, I, I read it being that flat, like, you know, like this is so weird yet, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, he's, cause he's been dead already. He's come back from life, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, where they make it a little more like, Oh, it's lovable. You know, like, you know, don't yeah, be too yeah. scared of me kids, you know? Um, and then when they escape, and then the, it's weird because it, it it goes very quickly. You would think after they escape, there'd be this whole other adventure. Yeah, no, the movie it moves at a clip because even though, it's even though I feel like pacing. It's 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 a it's a weird dichotomy in that. Like I feel yeah. like it's paced slow, but it doesn't waste a lot of time. <laughs> no, because it where it's to, going. Because you think about how long does it take before they get to Oz? Twenty minutes, maybe. Yeah. Right. Which is, I think, is. Sh- Longer than the original movie, yeah. But they have to have all this set up, yeah. Set all this exposition up. Then once they get to Oz, it's pretty. Like I said, it took the basically took like a whole movie to get to the Emerald City. Yeah, (laughs) nineteen thirty nine. Here it takes three minutes. Yeah, and we got your your friend um, doing the illustrations, Mike Plug. He did a lot of the uh, Plug did a lot of the uh, storyboards and probably some of the design, the conceptual artwork and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, just all the all the stuff like the stone gnomes are so freaky at the end when they're coming to life and grabbing out trying to get her. All very very scary for me like that. The, the whole gnome king thing, because when I was little, I never really understood what he was or uh, understand that every time he's taking one of their lives, he's, he's becoming more, more human. human. I didn't really remember that. From, I mean, I got confused near the. I I understood everything. I feel like as a kid up until they make their flight out of the tower. Yeah, and then when they're what was happening once they got to the maybe I've only seen it once I don't remember but like that kind of got I remember them being like in a hell kind of like caverns or labyrinth with a something talking on the wall that yeah. moved but I didn't understand what it the, what the gnome king it was it reminds me of something else but I can't put my finger on it maybe it just reminds me of it <laughs> is it like house or what's the name of no, that movie no just like the something about the way it feels and the I mean I guess I'm, I guess a little bit of uh never-ending story i certainly thought i put that down as a note that it definitely has shades of uh the never-ending story kind of a world since it is a big that era creature in that yeah too. yeah which we covered on this podcast if people yeah, haven't earlier. listened to that yeah that's an oldie oldie yeah. but a goodie we've been a lot us. of these fantasies i mean look we've under a belt we have um never-ending story we have labyrinth we have this we did last Starfighters kind of. I mean, it's in space, but it's yeah. kind of a fantasy, you know. Um, Willy Wonka, we did Willy Wonka, but black holes more horror. But you know, like we Flight have a of lot the of Navigator, Flight of the Navigator, you know. So we, we we're, we're filling out our our pockets with all this kind of. Uh, well, I mean, it know, was. I guess it was very. It yeah, was, these were quote these essential. were iconic for us. Movies for us, yes, yeah. for our generation. I'd say not specifically for us. I mean, there was a there was a magic to movies in the 80s yeah that unfortunately it could be like i kind of said earlier it could be that like we're not 
it's just it's not marketed to us because we're adults now. Yeah. So we, there's might be stuff that I'm just not aware of, but there doesn't seem to be the same kind of magic going on for kids. I agree in with you. Movies. I feel like it's glossed over a little bit more. I could just be the ignorance of adulthood that, uh, like I said, that I don't see it. Well, it's like I think we were more aware of like. You know, in the old days, like if I could take this concept, it's like if you used to, if you wanted to travel, say overseas, you'd have to take a, a boat trip. Yeah. And it was like the adventure was in getting there was like the adventure. Yeah. Where nowadays it's like a two hour flight. I mean, I guess we got the Marvel universe you know? and everything, but that's just, it's not the same. Yeah. It's not quite the same well, as I, having like a group of kids on an adventure or, you know, because especially with like the new Spider-Man, we never, which I'm, I'm thankful that we don't waste time with another origin story for Spider-Man, but you, you don't have a teenage kid saying like, I wish I had more, I wish my life meant more. Yeah. I wish I had, there was more than just living in this queen's apartment with my aunt May. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I, I need, you know, like I'm, I'm destined for better things for bigger things than this. Not that Spider-Man was ever that kind of character. Yeah. But I feel like there's not a whole lot of that going on, which I think is kind of quintessential and, and why our generation is the best. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's why I, I kind of equated to the, to a boat journey where it's like now you and I and, and, people from our generation was fascinated by the nuts and bolts of how they did something or like that where now it's just glossed right over because your yeah. phone can hit a button and you could do that effect as opposed to you know the all the old stuff that used to have to go into doing something like yeah. animatronics or nothing where now it's just ah well it's it's so easy you kind of lose the art of how things are done and you know how you know so you kind of lose a little of that magic and this movie is said it a million times on the show it's yeah. become like a recurring you know, it's a, a skipping record here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it is, this is a, another prime example of uh, a lost era of the of filmmaking in terms of the production uh, design and the way things were done yeah. and the way special effects were made. Um, it's, it's, it, it's, it's interesting that it's like we kind of, I mean... The concept of the show is very much based on the fact that we grew up at a certain time period and that we have certain interests based on that. Um, And even the concept of like a sleepover movie, I feel like is very much of our generation because I'm sure kids had sleepovers before that, but because you didn't have home entertainment. For the most part. You like you, you... you know we're the we're the video store generation so like we could go to rent movies with our parents or rent a bunch of movies and then watch them with your friend out of sleepover whereas the kids of the 70s their sleepovers involved other things maybe an eight millimeter movie or tv watching what's on you know watching you know like when we did mad love on the show uh, you know i couldn't i kind of equated it to like this would have been like the midnight creature feature yeah that you would have yeah but like we had a very specific kind of childhood because of the video store but it was also th- the changing of the technology and it seems i find it fascinating that i mean i guess it makes sense that the filmmakers and the technical people in the film industry like special effects artists and stuff it's like they pushed it as they pushed the art form as far as it could go in our 
in our childhoods. Yeah. Like, they upped the ante in a way that... And it was largely due to the advancement of technology. But it was, it's, I find it interesting that they pushed it as far as they could go, and then it... And then it became antiquated. <laughs> Very quickly. Like, like within really a year or two. Quickly, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's and outdated, yeah. It's interesting that you get like the pinnacle movies, even the ones like this that were necess- they weren't necessarily successful box office wise. Yeah. Didn't have an audience like some of the other ones. Developed cult uh, f- fandom post, you know, as as our generation grew up, remembered these kind of movies fondly. But it was like the amount of like ingenuity and technical prowess and know-how and movie magic went into this movie in a way that would never happen in a movie today. Not at all. Yeah. And I just find it interesting that like even, I mean, it was a Disney movie, so it was, and it was clearly a lot of money spent, but in a way like this isn't, well, I think it's this the, isn't Star Wars. You know what I mean? And Star Wars wasn't Star Wars yeah. when Star Wars was made. So I, like, I don't really know how to, say it but i just find it interesting. like this was just another movie yeah i mean granted they were hoping it was going to be success and they were banking on that it was a property that people knew and all that but it was just another movie in the 80s sure and the fact that you have like all this crazy claymation and animatronics and uh, and 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 mats and yeah and and the puppetry and everything i mean this is i just find it it's a tour de force that it really is like a beautiful uh example of the ingenuity of yeah. filmmaking of the time yeah well nowadays i feel like you, you, since you have so much competition you know this is why you start you, you know these movies the simpler the better you know you, why are you going to spend all this time where you can just cgi the shit yeah, out of well, something we were where, you know before we started rolling about like you watch the making of anything like like the, the superhero movies and there's just a bunch of actors that aren't even wearing the superhero suits no, a lot of the time. Yeah, they're, they're still CGI that later. It's them in a, in a, in a soundstage, <laughs> in a green soundstage on like stilts or in like, they're not even wearing the outfit. They're, and they're wearing GoPros or Which their is balls. Like, for, as a young kid who's, who's becoming interested in how movies are made and the way the magic of movies is, are being made, it's almost like that's boring. That's not captivating to watch. Yeah. Whereas, like when we were kids, and you would see, see a like, guy under the table, <laughs> yeah. Or we'll, even if you see footage of like the guy inside the suit of TikTok, he's upside down, right? He's, he's a gymnast. He's, he's he's he's. I mean, obviously, his feet are on the ground. His feet are the feet of TikTok, but he's bent over and strapped in. Like, so that his head is between his knees. And that's how he has to walk The around. entire time as TikTok. And so as a kid, you're watching that, and you're like, holy shit. Or, like, or the guy that's... What people are doing for the, this. The tall guy dressed as uh, Jack Pumpkin. Like, you know, the, how he's walking around. It's like all... This this whole... Uh, it's just it's, It was a different... I feel very fortunate that we grew up at a time where we could be of the right age... Sure. ...to experience the... And appreciate the wonder of what these movies were doing. See, I feel like, too, if you're from other eras, you could probably use this template and talk about, you know, um, analog to digital or, oh, or sure. music to, you know, uh, movies, film to TV, when people are talking about this in TV. Back when we shot film, it was all, you know, and look at now, which, you know, or, or being able to record or being a live action on a vaudeville stage going to film and now you don't have and live I'm performances. I'm sure like our parents, you, you know, know, would watch this stuff with us and, you know, they probably had a sense of, but I think you're of childhood, of, 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 you know, 
that child inside of them that probably did kind yeah. of awe at this wonder of what was happening. But there was something of being like the age yeah. of this shit happening. And, and, and it being fodder for you that for they're all, yeah for us you know that was just but i think nowadays too since it's so dumbed down because it's all done in post it's not as interesting it's not as interesting for me to watch the behind the scenes of that's what i mean it's three like actors no kids gonna watch four the hours of, of avatar yeah which is now fucking like 15 years old yeah or you know these marvel movies or and uh, Avengers and say like I want to do that yeah I want to stand on because with, like with do what it's a bunch of people standing with dots on their head like, yeah where's the, <laughs> where's the performance where's, where's the, the mystique in that yeah and then later it's all done later uh, in a computer it's and just it's not to say that like I'm not disparaging that, that I mean the end results are amazing for in the most mo- part in a lot of in, yeah. in a lot of cases um but why so long the, for these days? So it's where not it's to like disparage it's, like filmmakers that are making movies no, that way. No, not at all. But there is a certain there's a removal. There's a step like you're you're a few steps removed. Yeah. From the the uh, the magic, the art. Yeah, the imagine, but like of your your imagination being, you know, uh, in wonder to the process of it. Yeah, and so. It's just, we got very lucky to be born at the time that we got born so that you could see shit like Return to Oz or, you know, any of the movies we talk about, even Labyrinth, which is not necessarily even a movie I like all that much, to be honest with you. I mean, in terms of, you know, I don't connect to that story the way I connect to other stories like it of that ilk. Yeah. But it's hard to deny that when we did it on the show to watch that every form of puppetry that had pretty much ever been invented was displayed yeah. to like the highest and most successful extent in one project was kind of awe-inspiring. Yeah. And this movie, for all its like, it's got a fucked up beginning. You know, there's a lot of weird shit in this movie. You know, we also were lucky enough to be of the generation of like, Kids programming was fucking weird, <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> you, know, you know, kids programming today is fucking weird too, but not in a dark way. The way yeah, it I feel was like you us. lost some of that with uh, with the translation of year. You know, it's, and uh, I feel very fortunate that like we were raised at a time where you know you would be brought to see Gremlins, yeah, or the Black Hole, or this, <laughs> or you know, this, you know. or Temple of Doom, yeah, or whatever. Because I feel like there are gen- there are some even parents that grew up with that are not embracing it for their kids. They feel like it's taboo. There are parents that you know they don't care. They're like we grew up with it. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I, it's this is just a prime example of that kind of thing yeah and, it, and it's another one of those movies that it's great to talk about because we're hitting all these of that era this also reminds me you said of um of never ending story it's got a lot of time bandits kind of a feel <laughs> yeah you know the especially it's with the face you know it's got a very british yeah feel it has a it. you know that bit british kind of a, oh that feel even at the end when even though terry gillum wasn't british but everybody in that movie is british. yeah at the end of this when when the when the gnome king is becoming more alive to me there's a british actor called brian blessed who um uh, I think British audiences may know it, it, he's a heavier guy with a beard and I think he shows up he's in Flash Gordon but it's like he looks like that to me like it's very there's a lot of like uh, throw-ins here like at the end 
it's like Last Crusade where they got to go into the room and like pick, choose wisely. Yeah. You know, it's like almost like when they're trying to pick what chalice, yeah. you know, of, of that. You know, maybe, the, the, you know, if, uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were like, you know, what's Welsh? Well, then, so we, ha- we talk about the, the management change. Disney changes management and Welsh is behind schedule. So they end up firing Mer- a merch. I'm saying Welsh. Walter, you were combining Walter and merch. Yeah, into Walter, Welsh. You, Walter, Walter Hill. <laughs> merch ends up getting fired because he he's behind schedule, and they they did this this uh, regime change, and um, and I think it ends up being a detriment because they don't end up putting too much into the. Um, the promotion of this, and I remember there was some sort of was but there he gets like reinstated a, at some point. Well, because of Lucas and Lucas Copeland like, Spielberg are like do it, and then even Lucas says like if he gets behind schedule, I will step in and help him stay yeah. on schedule. I will shoot his shit for him, you know. Uh, so they reinstate him, and he's able to you know finally finish this. But it's it's only because of them, and like you said, it's this is the only movie he directed, and it doesn't really do that well when it comes out. It gets you know a lot of the response is that it's scary that that it that it's. It, it's the darker side of L. Frank Baum, his book series, or you know, even though it's it's praised for its faithfulness, you know, it, it it turns out to be you know it it's just too eerie. No matter how told where it's how faithful it is, we're we're, you know, we're told that it's still just too scary for people. I mean, and it just all these elements are kind of scary and frightening. This this stuff of you know with Dorothy at the end and this this um this monster and he's gonna pick you know it, it this the the deck is stacked against her at that point. She's not going to win, you know, and everyone's turning into, you know, the, the, the stone and all, all that aspect of it. And, you know, they're one thingy away from no one remembering Oz again. And Ozma is stuck in the mirror because she was been banished away because of, uh, what's her face? Um, uh, Mombi is, as you know, it's, it's, it's all like the, the idea behind it is that Noam King made it, made a deal with, uh, Mombi and, and helped get rid of Ozma banished her away into a mirror and then now Mombi's the only one who knows where she is but they're they're waiting that so many generations are going to even forget about that they're not even going to remember Oz anymore the Emerald City or what that person was you know and they're banking on that but then Dorothy comes back and saves the day and this whole chicken thing which is a little weird is that they're, they're afraid of a chicken because the chicken can have an egg and the egg is life and I guess because of that, that's poison to the stone guys. And then at the end, so that's scary at the end when he's picking them up and he's about to eat eats the he eats the one couch, yeah. and then he picks them up and you're looking down into his gullet into the stomach and that's you know he's about to and it's all molten like in the member who's like would you like some refreshments and he's like that's um you know uh it's boiling silver and that's a freaking limestone pie and she's like it's very good thank you, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like all very like you know oh no i'm sorry it's it's is it sulfur or is it silver whatever it is he's drinking it's like I think all it's, that, it's, it's silver I you know it's it's, the, it's, the it's 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 all this kind of crazy stuff this held the record for being uh the the longest because it's forty six years between thirty nine when this came when the first one came out and then the second one this held the the longest running not just any record the Guinness Book of, of World records. records until Bambi they did the sequel to Bambi in two thousand six Bambi two and that's it was sixty three <laughs> so that or sixty four that Bambi the damn, two damn Bambi two Bambi's revenge Bambi's revenge going back for revenge. Uh, so I mean like we said this brings back all the stuff from the book like the magic powder Princess Ozma Uh, I mean this did have a British cast because Ozma was the girl who's been in a ton of other stuff and she she evidently is a really well known face and 
people in Britain know her because she's had this crazy past, and she, I think she's become a reality and I star. She also actually auditioned for Dorothy. Yeah, and then the they actress. didn't give it to her. She's she has this crazy, uh, I think reality show kind of venture that everyone knows, which she's had a lot of problems with her, like alcoholism and drugs in her life. But she, they deemed her to be too British, so they they dubbed her voice with an American voice over this this also is the first disney movie that has that new disney logo that blue yeah with with the with with the um with the the castle and you see it you know prior to that i think it's the when you see the outline of mickey turning around well this is the first one to have you know and it's that's funny because that's so iconic for us now. You see yeah. that in every you know, but you think this is the first movie to premiere it, and like, yeah, well, nobody that, saw that it. That blue screen logo, yeah, with the blue lettering that comes out and all that kind of a thing. Uh, you know, and there's a couple deleted scenes that they shot. You know, but th- again, it was a matter of I think at the end of it, they were cutting costs. You know, they didn't, they wanted to keep this under budget, and I think that may be the reason why you said you know you get that kind of claustrophobic look even though they're trying to show the grandeur sure, yeah. it does you know you get a matte painting but when you're on set the sets are kind of small well i mean they're huge yeah and even the little stuff i noticed when they were in mombi's castle the shit were like those mirrors are opening you never seeing a camera you know so they had to all go in later and probably cgi or i don't know how they would do that i guess they would have to just go in there and clear it out and stuff like that um very much so, you know that that whole idea of of yeah. the, all that stuff happening. So um, yeah, it's just interesting. And you said the what ifs that you know they talked about bringing like um, Tim Curry or Christopher Lloyd in there to be the Gnome King, um, Louise Fletcher, who I think that's what's her face, right? That's Nurse Ratchet from um, oh, uh, could be you yeah. know from uh, uh, Cuckoo's Nest or even Terry Gar. Uh, Don Knotts as the chicken, you know, they were thinking of even doing, or Dick Van Dyke as the uh, as the voice of the Scarecrow. Um, but it's sad, you, you know. And then you you said all Juliet Lewis, Elizabeth Berkeley, Emma Emma Ridley. Uh, she's the girl who plays asthma. They all tried out for Dorothy, but this comes out and kind of comes and goes because I remember it coming out, and I feel like there was like a McDonald's campaign or something, but I don't remember. Yeah, I kind of remember that too. If it was like, you know, you can get like a happy meal. Maybe they were glasses also. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, something like you can get your happy meal. Like around, remember Santa Claus the movie, which we also did on this for like around 85 or 86? Yeah. That there was a push there. Um, At the end of it, when when, when he's turning uh, his last words, the Gnome King, it reminded me of Unicron from uh, Transformers the movie. Like, (laughs) destiny! Because he's coming, you can't do this to me. Yeah. I had that idea, and like I said, we had the never-ending story and all that kind of a stuff. Uh, and then at the end of it, when so when she wakes up, the novelization explains, which I think is kind of hinted at, when you see, like, they find her, and they were, like, just about to give up on her, but Toto finds her, and they're like, oh, my God, and, like, and that would, you know, Uncle Henry revitalizes him, and then all these people in the town help him put the house up. But when they're walking back down the road, and you see the paddy wagon go by and the nurses in the paddy wagon you come to find out that he was a charlatan he died in the in the fire of the house but then he had all these people locked in the basement of all the people who went wrong using the uh, electric machine so those were all the screams he was hiding all the botched experiments and all that kind of a thing um, that motherfucker motherfucker or Irwin Allen who we talk about a lot on the podcast he did in the 80s a, a crazy TV version live action of Alice in Wonderland starring everybody Jonathan Winters Telly Savalas um, 
uh, Sammy Davis Jr., everybody and their mother who was a celebrity at the time played an appearance in that. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, like felt like at the end that was like the era you know when they're like having the big parade and she's walking everyone's there it's, <laughs> it's very much like that was the era of the 80s you'd have these yeah. big budget you know these live action kind of movies and they were taking properties and doing things again so i, I had a very you know uh memory of that you know um it's just it's nice because i hadn't seen this movie in years and uh it just brought back so many memories even to the like i thought some parts um for Veruza was kind of channeling uh judy garland Definitely. a little bit and there are, some there's of the a couple of lines shots yeah when she's like on the yellow brick road talking about the bricks yeah, yeah. you know what she I mean? sounds like yeah she's talking like you know like, like and, her inflections do sound a little bit like judy garland yeah that, that specifically i noticed too yeah so they must have given her direction unless she's i mean she's bringing it she could have been bringing it her to herself like, they're all gonna laugh at they're you. all gonna laugh at you <laughs> oh my god something's wrong um and i think tiktok is voiced by the same guy who does howard the duck because uh, that's around here too, but I think that might be the same guy. I mean, uh, although it, they, I know they sound different, but I think that might be the same gentleman. And then again, we talked about the Hanson guys. I mean, Jim Hanson's people. Like, I felt like the '80s couldn't have been what it was, which is weird because like he was still alive at that point. Yeah, but it was Brian doing everything. Brian, that was his, his first paying job. I, I wonder if it um, was because he was, you know, knee deep in doing Labyrinth. You know, because Labyrinth's probably in pre-production or production at this point, and Dark Crystals, Dark Crystals wrapping up. Yeah, you know, so maybe he was doing all that, and since there's not a lot here, so much. I mean, you have Belinda and some other stuff, but it's not as heavily. The whole movie is in puppets, you know. So maybe he was able to farm out some of the some of the people. So, um, you know, uh, what else? Anything else for this for this crazy uh, spectacular sequel? I feel like this does get a bum rap because it came out, it came and went, and sadly, you know. Um, People were the, the the exact things that they were trying to make this authentic were the off-putting things that scared people. Yeah, I think so. You know what I mean? Like trying to keep it to look like the original. Trying to be more faithful ended up hurting it in the long run. Yeah, and it's and that's sad because you know it is faithful to it. You know, if you were a die-hard bomb fan, you will recognize all this stuff. But it was so far removed by then. Yeah, you know, and and we the zeitgeist. And the original and the thirty nine movie was so, so far removed. Yeah, in from the, in it. the, and it's that and now so it's such a popular psyche. Yeah, you know, the, even to the ruby slippers. I didn't know until doing the research that she had silver slippers at yeah. first. And like we said, they had to pay a royalty because that was an intellectual it's, property uh, by MGM. By for, MGM for the first movie for the for the first movie for the, for the slippers. So it's just it's sad because it's like you know this movie's really good. Return of Oz and like. To, to come around to the beginning of this podcast now going on uh, three hour three and a half hours ago <laughs> uh, could be going in the longest of one of the ones we have done but it's a double feature was that I you know um, I don't even know why I was talking about coming around into this uh, this was one we always had in our list yeah since the beginning of the podcast uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers this was always like hey you know what we should really do this fucked up you want to see something really scary <laughs> Let's do Return to Oz. Well, it definitely is on you the know. list of movies that are fucked up for kids. I think when we did early on, part of the part of the concept of doing the show early on was that we would sometimes do blog posts, and then we did some. Maybe it was for Transformers the movie. We did other movies. I did that like were a ten up because did. we did Optimus Prime dies in Transformers the movie. So we were thinking Spoiler of alert. You know, <laughs> what? That's why we have Amazon Prime Day. <laughs> Everybody, but uh, in memory of the, the great Optimus Prime dying. <laughs> but we were talking about like that being so fucked up for kids of our era. And then I think your blog post was 
other fucked other up fucked phase up, other of, fucked of, of up our childhood kids. And this and was, I think Dark Crystal was on it. But it was but those movies are just like everything. Yeah. It's like, you know, Return to Oz, the entire movie. You know. <laughs> <laughs> headless headless uh witches and good and witches. Those and you know, those movies made a big impact on our generation. Sure. You know, and there are people that'll be like you know, I think there was someone if you look on like Wikipedia and they're quoting critics, there was like so and so from so from whatever when are we going to be quoted? You know, says <laughs> that this movie is not appropriate for the for the audience uh, it's going for. For, for it's going for despite the fact that they remember it fondly from their own childhood. Yeah. It's, it's a it's, I, I so I think some of them are a little full of their own tookus. But um she, uh, this gets nominated uh for best visual Academy Award nomination for best visual effects but loses to Cocoon. Damn that Cocoon. Damn you Cocoon. And uh Ron Howard to Cocoon? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Good old Brian Denny. What did we didn't we just joke late was that us talking about like the we were going to do redo the cast of Cocoon? Maybe that was another conversation <laughs> I forgot. But Faruza Bulk gets nominated for best young actor uh but she loses it to Barrett Oliver, who to Daryl, and that's a movie I would love to get yeah. to at some point. And that's, that's the fan, that's the Saturn Awards. Oh, is that Saturn Award? I think so. Gets uh, for <clears throat> best fantasy film, loses to Lady Hawk. Yeah, and that she gets nominated for best young actor and loses to Barrett Oliver for Daryl, which is a movie that you and I have also talked about since doing. the beginning because that's a movie I haven't seen since childhood. And Michael McKean's in that, and he's also Barrett Oliver was in Never Ending Story. Yeah, you know, and I think he was in something else. I feel like he was in that we did, uh, but yeah, it got really bad reviews. Sadly, um, you know, and then I think it came and went. I think also it didn't uh, help that. Disney was going in a different direction, was probably now investing in a lot of its animated stuff. It was taking a backseat to the live action stuff, and it was dividing, I think, the live action into Touchstone. Yeah. So Touchstone was going to start doing more of the dodgy stuff so they wouldn't frighten the shit out of people. So since they were laying a lot of the stuff in the animated stuff that with the afternoon carta- cartoon entertainment and then the live action renaissance, that when this came out, they didn't do a big release. It was very limited press. And then I think, I don't think it was in the theaters that long, you know? So it, it, it does become like an oddity of like, uh, you know, I've never any story or like time bandits. That's another one we've talked about doing for a long period of time on here. Time bandits, Yeah, you know, where, um, it's another messed up seeing that as a kid. And that well, has a really... Like, I don't even think... I, that's not even geared towards kids? Yeah, I was going to say, like, that was such a big movie for our youth. But it's not even... But I don't... Th- it's not... It's not a kid's movie. Not at it all. It just happens to be another, like... That kid, was on it also. Kid, but a kid on an event on a wacky adventure. See, it's weird because a lot of these movies, we have to owe our childhood to, like, programming. Like, a lot of yeah. these movies were on in the background, we and were, since we only had limited channels... I always say that. We were captive audiences for a lot of Yeah, <laughs> so a lot of the stuff we saw because it was just on all the freaking time because it had just come out. So, um, yeah, Return to Oz. Uh, I enjoyed it seeing it because I hadn't seen we watched the Tommy K's rental copy my old video store copy had the numbers on it it was really fun yeah I think old, it's only on Blu-ray from the Disney exclusive it's like they're doing to that club yeah with the black holes coming out and I also think too she's up there with Maximilian from the black hole like these villains that you forget about these scary Disney villains that people may you know not remember but apparently it's like, tr- somebody's trying to make a documentary about it oh really remembering Return of uh, Return to Oz um, it was one of those Kickstarter campaigns. They didn't go nowhere. Um, 
We'll see. As far as I know, they're still working on it. It was supposed to come out and it was supposed to be released in 2018, but uh, apparently they fell behind schedule. There's a trailer for it. Um, well, they're still to get, trying to get that Robo Doc. Yeah, out of two, as of 2019 to come out, and that has everybody. You're talking to Peter Weller, Verhoeven. They have they had big budget. They had copies of the different takes. I know a lot of these people. I, I don't I don't approve. I understand like with social media, you got to get people excited, but it's like they they start advertising the next one before they finish the first one. Like there's somebody making like an 80s horror movie one that I don't even think finished their sci-fi or 80s sci-fi one yet. Yeah, you can't. Let's finish one. Yeah, that's get one. Not, get one in yeah. the. Then we learn anything. Get finish one the what's can, on your plate you first. Get one in the can, and then we'll worry yeah. about the next. You one. You just can't start cooking dinner when you haven't finished your lunch yet. <laughs> you know. But there's all these Kickstarters because I remember there was a Kickstarter which I don't know if it went anywhere was to try to do a doc about the unmade Tim Burton Spider uh, Superman movie. I remember there was a there was a Kickstarter to get that going. Well, there is a doc about the unmade Superman. Oh, so maybe they did finish it then. Yeah. Okay, because I remember that only being I've seen the Kickstarter. Help me finish. You know the Nicolas Cage unmade Tim Burton movie. Yeah, there is a the fact. Okay. Unfortunately, the guy that made that has passed away. Oh, Jesus! I'm way back on time. <laughs> but that 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 one did come out. Oh, then there you go. That's but you funny. do worry because when you're crowdfunding. Well, that's you, the problem. You now do with worry these, right? if things are going. There have been plenty of projects, unfortunately, that I've. Donated a lot of money to that. I, I don't think you're ever going to get finished because. Of, oh, okay. Because, but some of these weren't they? Some of them kind of being like, um, take the money and run, where they weren't. You know, some of them did that too. And that was Star. That was the whole problem with Star Trek, right? Yeah. Was that Paramount was letting people do stuff until somebody did raised it, raised like millions of dollars for crowdfunding, and then just took the man the money and, and ran and never and finished their project. That's why we can't have nice things. It's terrible. But so uh, uh, hopefully at some point. This return, this remembering the re- uh, return to Oz will come come we'll, back. We'll, we'll get we'll done. F- we'll be seen. Yeah. Well, the the copy we watched, which was the uh, official Disney release, which was a remaster, and then they had like a five point one. We had Feruza Balk. She introed it and she gave a little featurette, which I guess they taped in nineteen ninety nine. So um, you know, you said you've seen her on the convention scene. I don't know what I would do if I saw her. I'd like melt. I'd be like ah. <laughs> I've never gone up to her, but I have seen her sitting at her table signing stuff. Yeah, I'd be like, I love you. Be that guy. I love you. Um, so yeah, this was fun. I know this was a long one for, but you know, it, it, it's like we said, it, it was the anniversary of the 80th of Wizard of Oz, which was a there was a lot of humdrum earlier this year with that. It was the it's the hundredth anniversary of Bomb dying. It's uh, a sequel because we're doing Return to Oz. Um, so there's a big significance with with us on our journey of doing this podcast, the special effects from the 39 movie, and what it accomplished. Um, and uh, it's another installment in the Summer of Sequels. Summer, Summer Sequel rolls sequels. on. Rolling on. When we're taking names, we're going to be coming down, uh, getting into August now, and we've got a, a bunch of other movies coming out before we close out the Summer of Sequels. We're in the hot, steamy days of summer. Uh, in case you forgot four hours ago, remember what we said. <laughs> If, as soon as you listen to this, go vote for us in the in the uh, podcast awards. Um, and uh, remember to always eat your fruits and vegetables, kids. Take your vitamins. Take your vitamins, kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> now you're all grown up now. You've listened to this so long. 
you know, you, you can always see us uh, here. You can always listen to us here. We'll Check be back. out Dion Baez's book, yeah, Blood, Blood in, in the, the streets. streets, available on Amazon and from other book retailers and at DionBaez.com. Yep, paperback, audiobook, uh, I was going to say, and Instagram. And, um, flip and book. Flip book, yeah. <laughs> Coloring pop, book. Pop book. <laughs> uh, paperback. Paperback. Uh, Paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And then check out Blake's Scored to Death conversation with some of horror's movie's greatest composers. Close enough. Close enough. And that's, that's wherever you can get books, Amazon, all your kind of stuff. You and can at all, scoredtodeath.com. You can also order a copy, an autographed copy at blakescoredtodeath.com. Check us out on social medias. We, we is on, um, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. We're now on iHeartRadio, so you can check us out on iHeartRadio. Uh, we're on iTunes and all the other places you get your podcasts. Uh, please interact with us online. You know, you could you could I send mean, us stuff. Look, we know that there are people out there listening to this right now that are not following us on social media. I so know. You know we just join like the to fun. Just say hi. You know, and 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 you know, every vote counts. Go vote <laughs> for us, and let's show those sons of bitches that you know that we can do something good. Um, you got some other stuff you're doing from cuts from the crypt. Oh yeah, cuts from the crypt. Yeah, uh, the end of every month. Last Saturday of every month, you get to play some horror movie music. And at some point, Scored to Death, the podcast is going to come back. I already have one interview done. I just have to find time to edit it. And Blake and I are both working on our new books. We're, we're all, geez, day and night. We're not sleeping. If we're not working <laughs> at our day jobs, killing ourselves, we're, we're working on our, our new books. So, um, you know, you'll have, you'll have some of those coming up hopefully soon. So um, Come back in we're two weeks. Away. And we'll have an all-new episode for you, another sequel in the summer of sequels. We hope you like what we've been doing. And... Uh, If you haven't heard enough of us, (laughs) we're back in two weeks. Later. Later.